Hey guys, welcome to another Artist Spotlight episode of Horror Haven Podcast. Today we have John Huber. Hey John. Hi, how's it going guys? Not bad. Uh, we're going to be talking to he's a writer, also a musician, and we're super stoked to have him on and hear more about what he does, so we hope you guys enjoy All right, so what I want to start out with, um, the question I want to ask is, because you write music, you also write books, novels, um, what made you ultimately decide that you wanted to be a writer? Well, I suppose from, um, you know, uh, when I was really, really young, I've, I've always been drawn to just dark things, I guess. I was, I was just always more obsessed with a disquiet grave, you know, <laughs> which is strange. You know, uh, thinking back, you know, most children, I guess, you don't even reconcile the thought of death until, you know, much later in your psychological development. But it was always really, like, prevalent in the forefront of my mind, I guess. And, and being from the upper Midwest, you know, I, I grew up in a little little tiny town in North Dakota that, you know, you've never fucking heard of, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, and so up here, uh, especially in the wintertime from November about the end of February, you know, you get that uh, really empty wind just kind of running up against the eaves, you know, and so um, it's just about three, four months of listening to that and just kind of sitting around doing a whole lot of nothing, and so your imagination kind of gets the better of you, and so you just sort of um, sit and make up your own stories, and I was fucking poor growing up, and the way that I grew up was no bargain. You know, we'll just kind of put it that way. But uh, so I didn't have a whole lot else to occupy my time. And so uh, words just came fairly naturally to me. And I had a uh, English teacher when I was in, oh, pretty young, about fifth grade or so, something like that. And I had an English teacher and I, and I had seen the bit later on in life. It's a Rick Moranis bit from some movie. I can't remember what it is but he had come in and we were talking about creative writing and stuff and, and he's like well yeah creative writing and telling stories it's all lying you know it's all you know you've always lied to your parents or whatever you know you uh, <laughs> you, you've always lied to your parents you know you need an excuse for why you didn't get your room clean or whatever else you know you I was gonna clean my room but then a fucking meteor came flying through the window <laughs> you know or whatever and so uh I just always really dug that and that and it just it would kind of set into me that was the moment when I was like, I realized that with stories and fiction, you really can do anything. And so um, that was a really empowering idea to me growing up in the uh, unfortunate way that I did. And so it was a really empowering idea to kind of latch onto is that like when I sat down with a paper or with music or whatever else that I could literally go anywhere, I could do anything and I could, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I could, uh, literally uh, literally just expand my world and so uh, he had sat down after his lecture he's like he's like, alright now we're going to write a two page story and I want you guys to go ahead and lie to me you know <laughs> and so uh, I'd always taken that and just went to the fucking moon with it and I had uh, just, this is a sort of a little stupid side story but um, <laughs> I had a, a, an English teacher or it was a creative writing assignment. Everybody's like, well, you got to write two pages. You know, that was the whole thing. Cause we were in like, you know, the fifth grade, you're yeah. probably 
you know, so I mean, how I mean, how long could your story go in the fifth grade? You know, yeah. like if you've ever if you've ever talked to little kids, you know, their stories are to the extent of, you know, it's you know, I ran down to the basement, there was a monster there, and you but you got away though, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's just like that. That's about, it's about the extent of their story. <laughs> well, I mean, so it's like everybody else had turned in these two page stories. I hand wrote this like eighteen page story, front back. And like it was the, everybody else was turning in regular stories. There was usually, you know, action was really big. And this is in the height of the Harry Potter craze, actually, when I was in grade school. Right. So okay. when I was in, I mean, it was an early Harry Potter craze. I think it was like book two or three was coming out when I was in fifth grade. But uh, so a lot of everybody's stuff. Excuse me, I'm, I'm smoking while we're talking. Oh, no, you're good, you're man. Fine. You're good. <laughs> but um, uh, a lot of everybody's stuff was uh, very mystical and very. Uh, you know, kind of magical. It's so, like, I had turned in this like 18 page story that was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like Jaws meets Creature from the Black Lagoon kind of thing. I'd read it. <laughs> <And> yeah. so, <laughs> it, was like really, it was like really fucking dark. And like, they had to go out on this boat and they had this like lead anchor that they dropped down to try to like catch this monster. And it turned into this big, huge fucking whirlpool like uh, Charybdis from uh, the Odyssey, you know? And it's like just swirling around. Like this fifth grader turned in this big epic thing. And then like the teacher looked back at me and she was just like, this is a two-page assignment. It's like, yeah, I know. I just, you know, I got on a thing and it just went to some <laughs> fucking places, you know? And I just... You couldn't just end it? Right. Yeah, right. So you couldn't just, you know, fucking end it. And I was like, no, man. I just, I got, it's kind of like uh, you listen to some of those hippie bands, you know? They're just like, we got to do a serious thing, you know, yeah. like eight, 18 minutes later, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was at that point that like, not only I learned two important lessons that day. Number one, that I loved writing because I could literally do anything. And number two, that, uh, understanding the appropriate story length is, is a good thing, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> knowing, knowing, uh, when to end a story, you know? So I had, uh, started there and, uh, uh, over the years, things in uh, the way that I grew up just got kind of progressively worse. So there's a chunk of time. There's a chunk of time between my ages of probably 14 to about when I was 21 or 22 that I was just more focused on, like, survival, I guess. Yeah. So a lot of those kind of came into the college years when I was in college and stuff like that. And so, like, um, but before a lot of that had happened, I like, I had gotten into uh, – horror movies with my brother and that's where the horror aspect had sort of come in and so this was because uh, like I said that we lived in a ho-dunk little shit town where there was nothing to do you know and so uh, we there was this old video store back in this days of VHS back before you know back before I completely ran out of business this is a little tiny store called video takeout and the guy that ran it was my fucking neighbor and we were like <laughs> We were like 12 years old, me and my older brother. And so we'd go in there on a Friday night, nothing else to do, you know. So what you do, you know, you go see if you can sneak horror movies and shit out of the fucking, you know, out of the, I'm sorry for my, sorry for my language if that's. No, no, no you're gold, not, yeah. Chris, like sailors. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, cool. Yeah, it just kind of, you know, you get talking and it's. Uh... No, man, you're fine. You're All right, cool. cool. All right. So any, anyway, like I had, um. So on Friday nights, I mean, those are kind of the memories you start to cherish. And I, you know, listening to you guys' podcast, and I could tell that that comes through at your guys' end, too. I hear a lot of, like, you know, that initial nostalgia when that first horror bell kind of starts to starts to clang for you, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, and you get, uh, you know, so, like, I had 
I had a pension and then I, you know, an ideology for writing stories, but the horror element came in with my older brother, which, and we'd started, uh, the, and the reason why it started this way, and I have a, a love for classic horror movies is like specifically classic because that was what Joe had, you know, at video takeout. So he had uh, just, you know, the classic stuff, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, everything, John Carpenter, Wes Craven, uh, you know, just all, all the gigantic stuff. It's so, like, I'd seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13, something That's like that. That's my favorite. Yeah. Fuck yeah, right. My my personal fave. So. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. crazy too that uh yeah because uh, my favorite's Evil Dead and hers is That's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That, that, yeah. Uh, double feature last night. <laughs> so you said you did fucking... the same one and I was like, oh shit, yeah. that's pretty funny. <laughs> right? Yeah. But he had like I'd seen it on his Instagram or whatever. I was like, we did the exact same fucking thing. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe it. And like and the question up was like Evil Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like, oh man. That's hard. <laughs> Which one did you go with? I I had to go with Evil Dead oh, I, only fuck, because man. only because <laughs> only be, and it wasn't fair because I used how much I love Ash moving forward. Yeah. And how much I love like Ash Ash versus Evil Dead. Ash and versus so Evil Dead is killing it. It's really good. It it, it kind of ends up being like a Batman versus the the uh, the Avengers. Yeah. Like yeah. when that first came out, it was like the Avengers, uh, the first Avengers movie came out just parallel to Dark Knight Rises. And so like, it was like the Avengers versus Rises, right? And my brother's a huge Marvel fan. And so he's, so he's like, the Avengers are gross more than the Dark Knight Rises. It's like, yeah, but that's like six fucking superheroes or however many. <laughs> See, we're DC people here, so we can't even get behind the Avengers too much. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So I was like, that's like five or six superheroes taken up against one fucking guy, you know. It's like, and he's still just about whooped your ass, you know. <laughs> so it's, anyway, um, so you kind of start to cherish a lot of those memories. And so like, I and, and that was the reason I had gone with, with Evil Dead is because it's like a love where the Ash character goes, and I was weighing that, that whole Ash Williams mythos against the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So. It's like one movie versus like uh, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and then uh, the whole series or whatever. So it's like I was wagering one movie against like four. So it was kind of a wait. <laughs> it's kind of hard too because with the the Texas Chainsaw sequels, like they're very hit or miss. So if oh, absolutely. If you're going by franchise, it's so hard to to make a pick. But yeah, they're they're both class. Like that's the thing too is like when we were watching them, Dylan's always been like very like the Evil Dead is the best and I'm like no Texas Chainsaw last night he's like it's really hard because when I watch them it's like they're both so good it's like yeah. I, I could really go either way with them so we... and, and, and and when you pick one you feel like you're sliding the other yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah know? I feel a little guilty yeah exactly and I felt the exact same way I was laying in bed last night I was laying in bed last night and Becky's like Becky's like I gotta go with Evil Dead and I like closed my eyes like closed my eyes like like some lady pushing a detonate button, you know. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, don't judge me. <laughs> so it's like, it's like I didn't, I, I picked Evil Dead, but I, I didn't feel good about it. <laughs> it's all right. You, it, we were asking the hard questions, you know. Yeah. We really asked oh, yeah. the ones sure. that matter. <laughs> sure. But uh, so, um, but I. Uh, well, especially like both of those series too, they're kind of right in that same vein of that uh, really relentless brutality, you know. Yeah. And, and 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 so like you're not. I mean, they're kind of they're not in the same vein, obviously. You know, I mean, you're dealing with the undead in one and and with cannibal freaks in the other, but 
but they're definitely sharing the same like Thanksgiving table in terms of like theme and atmosphere mm-hmm. and just grueling like sort of like punishment. I mean, they're both grueling horror movies, is what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, yeah. And so like, and, and so like, both of them are just very like push the envelope as, as far as like you you watch both those movies and you feel like you've been through a battle, you know. Yeah. We we usually ask this question at the end of the uh, of the artist spotlight episodes we do, but it seems like a good time to bring it up now because we just said what our favorites were. Um, we always ask everybody we have on like what what movie got you into horror? If you have a specific one, and if not, what is your favorite horror movie? I I'll uh, both of those questions would be wrapped up into the same answer, and it's actually a pretty good segue. I I got my mind's kind of like a lazy Susan. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it goes around and then uh, it, it goes around and, uh, and then I'll get on a rabbit trail and I'll follow the rabbit trail for a while. But if you just give me some time, you know, it, it'll, it'll come back around. You know, <laughs> And so this is it's actually a really good way to segue back into, you know, back to business kind of thing, going back to um, where I was going with the getting into writing and everything else. And, th- and so this is very pertinent. I, I promise this. Is a oh, yeah, good. <laughs> so, um, uh, um, Around this time, when I was like 12 or 13 or whatever else, a couple, um, you know, so we started renting these classic horror movies. And so um, a couple years before that was when the horror thing had started for me. The movie that like sticks in my head, like the first time I was sleepless for months, you know. Um, now, that movie is different than my favorite, but the movie that, you know, had got like, when you realize that, uh, there can be frightening stories, I guess, because there's always that period in, in someone's life, you know, when you, you first realize, like, oh, my God, they can tell stories like this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, that, that one for me was Tales from the uh, Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt. Okay. And uh, it had Billy Zane in it, and um, oh, I'm striking out on some of the other, but it had Billy Zane in it or whatever else, and uh, uh so it was Demon Knight Tales from the Crypt. I was like probably seven or eight when I watched that. And like my brother had it on. And like, uh, now I grew up like in a very uh, re- religious sort of household. My grandparents were staunch Catholic. My parents were Catholic. And so like until the time I was about uh, 14 or 15, discovered Slayer, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's how it Slayer. all starts. <laughs> yep, exa- exactly. And if like Slayer and Behemoth, all those dudes that are that started Catholic too, you know, so it's like you got one of two ways to go with Catholics, you know, it's like you, you stay a lifelong devout and you're burning yourself with cigarettes every time you get a half boner from Ryan Gosling (laughs) (laughs) or you go totally the other way with it and you put on some fucking devil horns and you're cranking Slayer and singing God hates us all, you know, it's usually one or the other. And, and so, um, anyway, that's how I had grown up. And so like when I was seven or eight, you're still kind of indoctrinated, you know? And so you haven't grown into your own personality at that point. And so, uh, I went to demon night with my brother my brother, Paul is really the one who's responsible for, uh, for getting me into a lot of it. And so he put on demon night and I've ever watched that fucking movie. And I've, I've watched it again now, obviously. And it's, doesn't have the same it never does right you know, <laughs> your, your first one you know it never does but i mean i've watched i remember watching this like seven as a like grip in the fucking chair and i had these stupid tapes they were called dan and louis tapes and uh there were these like biblical bible verse things that like played on little old school cassette right and uh uh 
I had gotten those from my grandparents and stuff because I started having nightmares from this fucking movie. And so uh, for months, it was just on repeat. I couldn't even deal with silence when I was sleeping. Like, like if I had like, like silence, I, I would immediately wake up and I'd have nightmares and, and, and all, all this other kind of crazy horse shit. And so uh, they give me these Tan and Louie tapes because they're like, all right, well, and, and the, the idea was, is this guy and his dummy, his little puppet dummy or whatever, that go to the Bible storybook castle and they go listen to like Bible stories and stuff. I mean, it's just, that's at that age, that's what I needed. Like, that's how much that shook me, you know, because there's only two, the two most superstitious people on the face of the planet are Catholics and Native Americans. And so, um, and, and so like, uh, I was Catholic. And so seeing a movie based on demons just fucking rocked me as a kid, you know? And so, just, I mean, I, I was fucking sleepless for years, right around the time that it had st- finally started calming back down. And I didn't need Dan and Louie every single night. You, you know, uh, Paul and I started renting movies from, from our neighbor Joe at, at Video Takeout. And so um, uh, we had started years. So the, the, the movie that had started the horror trend for me was Demon Knight from Tales from the Crypt. Moving forward, my favorite horror movie for years was the original Halloween 77 John Carpenter I mean Paul and I had rented that it was just over and over and over we watched that fucking movie and it got to the point where like it got to the point where it was like it's like you know there are other horror movies we have in it's like why would I watch other horror movies (laughs) (laughs) this is the one right this is the only one that I need you know (laughs) It so, probably got to the point where you could have just bought the movie, but you just have to keep renting it. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, it's like if we bought it, it wouldn't be the same. We'd, yeah. We'd, we'd break the fucking spell, you know. It's like it was creepy because we rented it, you know, and we, were dumb, <laughs> we weren't supposed to have it, you know. And so uh, so that stood the test of time for many, many years. And uh, uh, so it was like all traditional horror at that point. And, and so it was like Nightmare on Elm Street, um uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, um, the original Friday the 13th. I'm not a huge fan of endless sequels. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of fell out of love with that. But like coming full circle years later, um, when I started to kind of clean my life back up, I had a couple, I had a couple of nasty forays with uh, drugs and alcoholism and shit like that, which happens to a lot of unguided individuals because I didn't have parents. Like I didn't have parents from the time I was 15. So, like, you get into a lot of shit, you know, you're like, what am I going to do on a Friday night with no parents? Drugs sound really fucking cool, you know? <laughs> and so, like, I finally came out of that uh, coming out of college. And so that was when my life had sort of, like, finally reset, where I was like, oh, shit. I remember back when I was, like, 12 or 13 or 14, I really wanted to fucking write. Like, that's what I wanted to do, you know? And so, like, that had kind of come back out and, and like horror had kind of like resurfaced after I was after I was done um, trying to survive you know like when my life had sort of settled out and so um, it had finally dawned on me and so I'm in this really cool time <clears throat> I'm in this really cool time where like I saw a couple of like of the classics when I was a kid and then all of that sort of went by the wayside because I was trying to survive and then I came back to it as an adult where now I really wasn't that exposed to the whole thing because it kind of got cut off. So I had this really great time between the ages of like 21 and 25 where I got to like, like come in all of it as an adult. 
Yeah. So it's kind of like you know, rediscovering so like, it, that spark again. Yeah. Exactly. And there were so many of these classics that I hadn't even seen. You guys, and, I, and I'll admit this straight up. I'll admit this straight up because I like we gained nothing in this life by being dishonest. I was a 22 or 23-year-old man, and I'd never seen The Exorcist. Whoa. I, yeah, and, right, and that's that's what I mean. Like, like that's how, like, shut off it had gotten during these years, you know, when my life went to pieces, you know. And so, like, that that's how severed the whole limb was. And so, like, when I come back to it, I was just like, oh, man, fuck yeah. I mean, think about that. Like, if you had a chance to go back and, and re-see all these classics, but you had a chance to do it now. Yeah, like for the first like, time. Like, like how would that draft, like, so your first viewing would be when you're a fully formed adult, you know? Like you know you're fully what, based. Though, considering you know? you're raising, it was probably better that you saw The Exorcist as an adult. I feel like you yeah. probably would have needed a lot of cassettes to get through that one. <laughs> yeah, if Demon, Knight shook me, Demon Knight shook me the way that it did. Like, <laughs> fucking Exorcist, I don't think I, I would, you know, I, I don't think I would have made it out of that one without Yeah, some, I'm not sure. You would have you would have needed some help with that one, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, sure. I probably couldn't have made it through when I was younger with that one either. And it's not even uh, so much the violence in that one, but the vulgarity of it. Right. And, 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 uh, and I mean, and that shook me too, as even a 22 or 23-year-old dude. And even at this point, when I'd first seen The Exorcist, is like 22 and 23, and my, my memory, I've... I've like I'm an old football player and I've had six or seven concussions. And so my, my memory fails me routinely. So, I mean, I, some of these dates and times I get a little bit mixed up just in, in numbers are kind of hard for me from time to time. But, but, uh, so I can't remember if I was 22 or 23, but even as, as a 22 or 23 year old dude, I was watching that fucking movie and I still, it kind of like a, uh, kind of like a, a spray paint can with a little ball rattling around in the, in the can or whatever that piece of Catholic upbringing was still rattling around in my fucking head you know, yeah, like, just, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, exactly. So it's, clinking around in my, it's clinking around in my head back there. And I just like, and it's like, it's fake. It's fake. It's fake. And it's just like, yeah, but it's not though. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, but it's not though. And demons are going to get you in your sleep, you know? And so like, th that's where, so to this day now, uh, Halloween's been dethroned and the exorcist straight up is my favorite horror movie. Um, that movie yeah. too, like even as an like for me as an adult, like There's I would probably parts of rank it that make me cringe. The part with the uh, the crucifix where she's like stabbing herself, like that part, I'm kind of like it's probably like one of my top ten cringe moments in horror movies yeah. as an, even as an adult. That, so. I, I remember watching that with you the first time we watched it together, and and you were like, oh yeah, like, like that the, stuck yeah. with me for a while. That was, that was a yeah. horror movie for you. I, uh... Well, I mean, and I, I, I sort of don't have a choice at this point either because, like, I have a whole big exorcist tattoo. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty great time. The, the tattoo artist I work with, his name is Roy, uh, down in Grand Forks. I'm based, I'm based, I live closer to Winnipeg than I do to, to any United States city. Okay. So I'm, I'm way the fuck up here. But uh, anyway, so he's in Grand Forks, and I, it, it's this really cool type of deal where, like, I go in and I check out, just watch, I watch horror movies with him, and I watch horror movies with him uh, just it's like a really fun hangout kind of time and so uh he's the one that's done all this artwork and stuff and so i mean he just fucking knocked it out of the park man i got i'm i'm just gonna turn into a whole big sleeve too i got my ears on my chest uh, the the halloween two, the blood tears mm -hmm. halloween two, i got that on my chest so i mean there, there's a bunch of the classic guys that are going on the sleeve or whatever else so it's like you know i don't really have a choice at this point like the favorite would have to be now, now you're dedicated yeah. <laughs> 
And so, uh, and I'd actually had the chance. Um, I've been on vacation this last week or whatever, but uh, I'd run down with my brother, lives in Fargo, and so I'd run down. Uh, my brother, they're doing this thing in the in the theater back there. Now, you gotta understand. I talk about a lot of this stuff like it's new and cool, but I live in the middle of, you know, <laughs> I'm fuck Egypt, so it's probably pretty commonplace. Where are you located? Huh? Where are you located? I live in Hallock, Minnesota. That's an oh. hour north of Grand Forks. And if you know where Grand Forks is, that's an hour north of Fargo. So I live two hours. I don't hours- know and too much about Minnesota. My my parents live there, though. Well, you know something about Minnesota, then. Well, I know that my parents lived in a small town by Paul Bunyan land or something like that. Maybe Bunyan statue over by Duluth or whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. A, yep. And so uh, I remember as a kid, I had gone there, and they, you give your name at the gate. And, and he kid, knows your name. Yeah, yeah, and the big fucking statue knows your name. And so, like, I remember I was fucking floored by that. I was like, Paul Bunyan knew my name. <laughs> then my brother Paul was like, you gave him your name at the gate, dumbass. I was, I was literally just talking to my mom about that the other day. Like, yeah, and was, he's like, you gave your name at the gate, dumbass. Like, no, don't you say that, Paul. I mean, you, he, he's going to, we're going to hang out. You know, because I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. So it's like, like we're gonna hang out, me and Paul Bunyan. You know, we're gonna take. That just a little kid just screaming at. Me. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, you know, I live in the middle of you know bumfuck nowhere. So like, when this when this kind of cool stuff happens, I'm like, oh my god, have you guys heard they're putting classic movies back in theaters? And you know, a lot of you guys that live in civilization are like, yeah, they've been doing that for like years, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, oh my god. How come nobody fucking told me? You know, that's that's funny. <laughs> and so like I had gone. Uh, they're doing the Fright Night thing at uh, West Acres in Fargo, and so they did The Exorcist this last weekend. So I got a chance to actually see uh, The Exorcist on the fucking screen, man. I mean, and that's like that. That's just really. I don't know. I I live life like I never. For one, I never thought I would live to see 25, let alone have a chance to be well enough to see 30. So get, I really take a. I really take in every experience that I possibly can and just get the most out of everything. And so, like, it just seemed like almost surreal to me. It was almost like time traveling. Like, I, you know, you read all the horror stories about, uh, excuse me for one second. Let me keep my cigar lit. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> but I mean, it's almost like time traveling. I mean, you, you read a lot of those stories because it was, uh, oh, oh, okay, now we're going to trivia. Uh, that, Exorcist released in uh, is it uh, uh, seventy three? I want yeah, I want to say it's seventy three. So, okay, yeah, hell yeah, it's going with the home team. I remember. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, I mean, but you read a lot of those stories when it came out in seventy three. You know, uh, people fainting in the aisles and and uh, you know all the uh, hysteria and mystique, I guess that that uh, surrounds that movie on its release. You know. And so, like, seeing it in the theaters is almost like time traveling. You know, you get to go back, you know, I mean, and, and sort of like, I mean, I know people that went to that movie originally in theaters in 73. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, like, now, having said, it's like, yeah, I fu- I, like, I fucking caught it in theaters. You know, it's like, I got all the collector's edition shit at home on Blu-ray, but, you know. <laughs> Like, you you can't be I, seeing it on the big screen. I, I love that they're doing that now, too. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, the Regal Cinemas around, we don't have one. The, uh, the closest one's like an hour away and it's like a really shitty one so we haven't gone to any of them but I know all this month yeah they were replaying like all the, like they played Suspiria and uh, I forget what else they had a bunch they had a good lineup though yeah we moved to a strange yeah. land in the, in the south and they don't do anything like 
they do in the north. Yeah. Everything's backwards right. <laughs> and upside down in the south. <laughs> we'll be backwards. No, I um, they're doing Halloween next weekend, so I think I'm gonna jet down to Fargo. Oh, that's awesome. And do uh, and do that one too. They did The Shining to start it off, which is another absolute favorite of mine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Um, and and so like I, I didn't get a chance to catch that, one. but anyway, so like. So I caught The Exorcist in the theater, and it was just like, I'm so just totally stoked on it and everything else. And it was the um, the restored the restored version with the spider walk scene. Oh, that's cool. Yep. And, like, I was not expecting that, actually, because, like, like, I had uh, bought, in, you know, I have the 40th edition collector's one or whatever with the spider walk scene revitalized and the wires taken out and, like, put back in the movie. So, like, I didn't know, I didn't, I thought they were just going to go with the original theatrical. Yeah. So I saw it come flying down the stairs. I was, I was in that theater. I was like... Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Just like, yeah, man. Like, I like that during that and during the uh, the crucifix masturbation scene that you guys are talking about. These yeah. two girls, these two girls that come down and cross down by the barricade or whatever else. And she's going. I mean, in Reese, you know, uh, uh, Reagan's going for us. Let Jesus fuck you. And these girls are walking out, and the one girl goes, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, that would have been me. I would have been that those was, girls. Yeah, that was absolutely done when we watched The Exorcist together for the first time. He was like, nope, not, nope. Yeah. Good. I've seen nope. enough today. <laughs> nope. Nope. Nuh-uh. We need Jesus in this house. <laughs> Definitely never gone to church a day in our lives, but we need Jesus today. <laughs> oh, that was the thing. Like, um, I'm a huge, huge, huge geeky fan. Like, like geeky fan of uh, the late William Peter Blatty and just the way that, um, just, I mean, even as like a, an, uh, literarily, you know, uh, as, as an author, the, the way that if you read The Exorcist, um, you know, the 40th anniversary edition, the, the, the one that he had a chance to go back in and redo, um, just literarily, I remember like when I read that book, I mean, not just from, not just from the scenes and the, and the, and the material that that's in the book, but like, the the prose and like the the um, you know um, his metaphor play and his usage of like ethereal language and stuff it's it was like hauntingly beautiful mm-hmm. and so like I became obsessed like with that type of uh, literary style and so if you guys really want something different I don't know if uh, audiobooks are your thing but uh, he did the 40th anniversary audiobook himself. Like as the author. Oh, that's cool. That's cool, yeah. And and so uh, and he was like eighty seven because he died at eighty nine. So I think he well he wouldn't have been eighty seven. He did that a couple years back. So anyway, he he would have been in his mid eighties anyway. And uh, if you think some of some of if you think some of our smoker voices get a little bit grovelly, like that dude was a two three pack a day smoker for like how many? Years. And so like and he's an old man. He's like eighty five. And you think my voice gets a little grovelly from time to time? That dude's voice is like, like. And it's the kind of thing where, like, listening to your grandfather in a fucking hut in the middle of the fucking woods with just <laughs> keep you warm kind of thing. Like, if you want a story that haunts you, like, if you think it's creepy to listen to, if you think it's creepy to listen to Reagan scream, let Jesus fuck you on the big screen, like, you're an 85-year-old man screaming out. <laughs> and, I mean, go. and he goes for it, too. I mean, he goes for it, too. I mean, he doesn't just read it, you know. You know, he goes for it, too. He's like, let Jesus fuck you kind of, you know, so it's like. Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, like listen to the shit in my car, you know, it's like, man, like the shit is haunting. So, I mean, I would highly recommend that. Like, I'll have to check not... that out. That sounds yeah. interesting to hear. But, uh, but getting back to you, like, uh, I, I want to hear more about like your writing. Cause you kind of touched on when you 
started writing. Sure. Um, sure. Now you write music and books. Uh, did, did the did, did the, the music... stories come first, or was it the music that came first? The the books came first. Um, I've I've written I've, I've I've written my whole life, and and I've done music my whole life too. I'm, I'm classically trained. Um, mm-hmm. I start I played trombone back uh, at fifth grade when you start music in most of the schools. It's like I played trombone, and then I learned piano. And I've been in ton. I've been in shitload of choirs and drama and a lot of that kind of stuff uh, throughout my life. So like, I fucking love opera, and so like uh, <laughs> that's I, so cool. <laughs> well, opera's bad. Opera's badass, man. Like like that's where you get some of those like tragically beautiful stories and some of that stuff. I mean, and not only that, like you're gonna mix it with the mystery and the wonder of music, you know. So it's like you want you want something that. You want like you want something that every bro tough dude would shit on in a bar, but would but would fucking be like croon along to if he's by himself in his living room, throw on fucking Phantom of the Opera, the New York like uh, 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 the one that they had done for I'm blanking. What, what which one was that one Becca that they had done in the New York uh, one with uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber? He was there for it. Anyway, so they had, they had done a great big huge production and released on DVD and stuff, and it's just like fucking phenomenal. It's like gothic skulls and shit, like fucking everywhere. And so it's like, it's like you like, like you get the toughest fucking dude, sit him down, and he's all by himself. Nobody but him in the mirror is gonna know that he's enjoying this, you know. <laughs> Nobody but him in the mirror is gonna know that he's enjoying this. And when uh, when uh, uh, Roman Carlo or whatever just Roman Carlo creams out like, forget all you know of this angel and. Like, like, it's like that dude would be like, "Fuck yeah, man!" <laughs> it's like no one's gonna know, you know. No one's gonna know that you like it, you know. So anyway, yeah. So I mean, I was really big into opera and uh, classical music, and and so that's where it had started. And I got into metal really, really young, and I've done the the vocalist thing for years, and I was self-taught on that. And well, because like I said, I mean, I, I was I was alone, you know, from my brother. Uh, my brother Paul, who I've always been really, really close with, and he's the one that you know originally got me into horror and everything else. He he had gotten married, and had moved out because he's he's older than I am, and so like he had moved out when I was oh man probably thirteen or fourteen something like that. And so my mom had left when I was fifteen or sixteen, and my parents got divorced a long, long time ago. And so like uh, through uh, my childhood, I mean I've reconnected with my dad now, but I mean uh, suffice to say that for those years he wasn't around, you know. So so um. You know, I had to discover music and and books and stuff and just basically teach myself a lot of this kind of stuff, which is difficult, especially, you know, in the online generation where everybody sucks, you know, yeah. so like, like, especially on like the Reddit forum boards, you're like, nah, I'm just trying to learn and do this to everybody else. And then out come the trolls, you know, yeah. and so uh, it, and, and so uh, it was a lot of just trying to learn a lot of this shit on my own. And so I was in bands for a long time and was doing music, but none of it completely panned out. And the biggest uh, reason why the books came first was because, uh, uh, like for years, I always studied guitar, scales, everything else. My fingers, I do not possess the dexterity to switch from string to string. Mm -hmm. So, like, I can write guitar lines and I can write scales. I could teach you how to play guitar. You know, and I could teach you musical theory, but I can't get my fingers to move from string to string 
which like I, so like I could hear music in my head and I've always heard music in my head and but I couldn't fucking get it out which was just ridiculously frustrating and so um about the time I was 20 I was in some bands and I I've been I'm 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 a, I'm a bit stubborn and so things have kind of gone by the wayside and so like I I mean I have guitars and stuff trying to just I've tried for years I can't get it to work and so I was just like fuck this shit I'm going to write I'm I'm going to write cuz I've always and because I've always written and with books and writing, it's just a matter of typing or writing. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it's not a matter of like being able to play the instrument. Like any, anybody can sit down and write, if that makes any sense, I guess. Um, like, so the writing was more practical when I was like 22 and actually for years. Uh, this is one of my nerdiest confessions. I've, I've always been a huge wrestling fan. And so uh, uh, for years, I had worked on my writing through these online RP leagues. And so, like, you'd create a character. And so you'd create a character and, like, write about the day and happenings of this wrestler, right? And your writing would go up against somebody else's writing, and your two guys would face off, and they'd write the matches, right? And so uh, for years, I did that and never really did real well with it because I always wanted to run horror characters yeah and there wasn't a whole lot of room for it because it's like it's like hey man uh, i get a bunch of games, you know be like be like hey man um a lot of dudes had issues with with your torture segment uh, in your last rp you know oh, so it's like they, they put a lot of handcuffs on me you know in terms of like what i was available to do and so after a while i went back to that english teacher i had and i was just like and i remembered way back when in fifth grade I was like this whole thing started because I wanted everything to be limitless and, and, and didn't want handcuffs. And so I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I quit doing the RP thing. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to do, I'm going to write a book, you know, like, and that's, that was, uh, after I'd got done with grad school. And so like I got done with grad school and I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm like, the only thing I've ever known in my life is I like writing horror and I like music and I can't write music right now because, cause I was into metal and I can't fucking play the guitar. So, uh, I was like, so I'm gonna write a book, and so like I started. That was where the Big Red Devil had come in. Okay. And uh, I wrote that, and then I went on. I wrote that, and then I went on just a fucking spree where like I didn't see the sun for like a year and a half, and I did <laughs> book after book after book. And so like, enter um about oh so, so the music now is about it's finally like a year and a half old I think, and so I had uh, so the books came first. And I had actually, I, I work at a at a part at a technological parts distributor or whatever. So I work I work night shift, and so there's like three thousand people that work in this fucking building. And so like I got a park like a billion miles away, you know. So I get out of my car, I drop my phone on the fucking concrete, scat, you know, scatter the fucking screen. So I got a new iPhone, and on the new iPhones they come with GarageBand, and so like GarageBand had showed up, and um, I started fucking around with that. And this is after. I had written, I had just finished up um, Road of Bones, I believe. And so like, uh, I got I got a new phone, GarageBand came with it, and I started fucking around with the digital instruments and the fretboard sits out like a, like lap steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I was like, well, fuck, I can, I can do lap steel and I can play piano. So I was like, if the fretboard sits out like a fucking piano, it's like, I can do that, you know? And so away we went and I was like, well, now I can finally write fucking guitar lines, you know, and get them out of my head because I'm just composing music, you know. And so it's like composing music, um, 
you know, it's the same concept no matter what instrument you put it on, you know. So I was like, I can write classically and then just transpose it to a guitar. And, I, and a buddy of mine that I'd always uh, written music with, a really good buddy of mine, I was hanging out with him last night. Um, he's a fucking brilliant guy, like like a, like a software engineer and stuff. Like, And so I was talking to him about it. I was like, if I can put these songs together track by track with these digital instruments, I was like, would you be able to like mix it and produce it? And he's like, yeah, I don't see why not. And so away we went, and I've always done the vocalist thing, so the gutturals, you know, were not a problem. And so, uh, and I've always, like I said, written my poetry and all kinds of different stuff, and so the lyrics are not a problem. And so I was like, piece by piece, this just sort of fell in my lap, you know, with the music. And not only that, like, how fucking cool is that? Like the like we're like the age we're living in is like the age we're living in where I had barriers to do something that I really, really loved. And like, we have technology available to bridge the fucking gap, like, and, and, and make, and basically taking the language that my brain is speaking in and translating it into the language of, of, of having like a metal album, you know? That's awesome. And, and like, how fucking awesome is that? Like with the age that we live in, you know what I mean? Like that's available to you, you know, to do for so like, Kudos to you too, because GarageBand is not easy to use. I try that shit, and I sound like I just make a mess. Yeah, it sounds like shit. Oh, like with the like um, with the digital instruments and stuff. You mean? Yeah, I can't figure that. Well, I don't know how to play any instrument, so it doesn't really help. (laughs) But I have it on my iPads at my job, so like sometimes I'm a preschool teacher, so sometimes I sit down with the kids and I just kind of like try and teach the kids how to write metal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. we, we yeah. have made a few metal songs. They're not good. Right. <laughs> All right, kids, today this one's called Ora Pro Nobis Lucifer. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> teaching so, me. Uh, I mean, and, and so like, yeah, I mean, the musical theory definitely helps. You know, I, I won't uh, lie about that, but, but I mean, and, and it took some trial and error. I mean, and, and me and Mike are getting better at it all the time, but uh, for Black Rose, that was the first album that we had done. Uh, we put that in the last year's Independent Music Awards, and that was just something that I'd heard about through my aggregator. That's really cool. And an, ag- and an aggregator is just a fancy word for distributor. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, uh, so do you so have I- a full band then now, or no? Are you still doing, like, writing it and then just mixing it? No, I we still do everything in house. That like I write absolutely everything, and then Michael records my vocals and mixes absolutely everything and produces it. Holy and when shit! We do, so you're a yeah. one man band. Yep, That's pretty much. Amazing. And awesome. so when we do, sh- and so when we do shows, um, I don't do a whole lot of shows because I don't have a whole lot of time for one. But um, I picked up a whole sound system years back when I was in college, and so. I picked up some all-in-one lights, and um, uh, my girlfriend here, she does a lot of stuff with artwork and stuff, so she was like, I can make you a fucking banner. And so she took some artwork from the album and just did chalk on black canvas, and I had a whole, like, fucking 10 by 10 banner and all-in-one strobe lights and shit. And so, like, I have a whole bunch of set decorations and stuff, some lanterns, and I do, like, a lot of the gothic imagery and stuff. And so um, I dress up like I'm... I dress up in a suit like I'm... Like I'm going to a fucking recital, and then I scream at you for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Michael runs everything, uh, runs everything on a soundboard, including the lights, with an all-in-one kind of remote type of deal. And so I was like, if you're resourceful enough, you know, like the tools are available to everybody nowadays, which is just what I fucking love. And so it's the same thing with the publishing and the books and everything. 
Yeah. You know, so and so it's like that's one of the un, one of the only like pet peeves I have, I guess, is uh, you know you run into people like especially after the IMA thing, which is like I never put a whole lot of stock into that when I put the album in last year. Because mm-hmm. I was like, an email, I was like, oh, hey, it's a thing out in New York, a really cool music thing. I was like, well, hey, man, any publicity is good publicity, so I'll enter in the album. What the fuck, you know? And so, like, they're like, hey, there's a list of judges coming out uh, this year, so we have some alumni judges. Amy Lee from Evanescence is going to be there, and, and Slayer and Sepultura. I was like, say what now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you can tell me Jesus Christ himself is going to be a judge. It doesn't make it true, you know? Yeah. So I was like, you can tell me anything you want, but I'm going to put that whole like I, now I'm I'm that way I always assume the worst yeah because I'm the, I, way, I, so. I, I'm the opposite yeah, exactly like I would rather be surprised and happy than let down you know and so um I was like oh whatever you know so like I went to the Facebook pages like 60,000 some people that follow the IMA Facebook page and I start going to some other people that have won IMAs so are you guys familiar with Metalocalypse at all oh, I fucking love yeah. you're actually just talking about it this morning yeah Fuck yeah, man. Hell yeah. So, yeah, fuck yeah. And so um, uh, Death Album 3 had won an IMA uh, for Best Metal Album. And so I went to the like went to the Metalocalypse Death Clock Wikipedia, and it's listed on the Wikipedia as like awards won. So I was like, somebody's putting a little bit of stock into this. Yeah. You know? And so I had gone to, like, because I remember uh, Death Punch, uh, Five Finger Death Punch had won one for Coming Down for like best metal song or whatever. I was like, first of all, I don't know how independent Five Finger Death Punch is, but whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but they had won one for coming down and it's listed on the Wikipedia and you can Google I'm like 15th annual IMAs, whatever, and it comes up as a whole big official Google list. And so I was like, to this day, I don't know how big it actually is, you know, to be honest with you, but I'm, but I'm going to promote the fuck out of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so they had chosen Black Rose last year for best metal album. Like I didn't win, but I mean, I was nominated that's pretty big that's, though. That's like on its own most impressive. I, I, yeah. Right. And and so like as a kid, like the coolest thing about it was like and I have a forward in the Big Red Devil where I talk about this exact same thing. Where like I've only ever been alone with like the notes in my head and the words that I have. And so all my heroes, like I'm a very big like fanboy kind of thing. Like I'm I, I which is why I I really make it a point to come out of the haterism, the haterade kind of shit, and I'm trying to be really open and just be a mega fan of everything because it's life is a whole lot more fun that way. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, and I've done the math on this. I've done the math on this a couple of different times. Um, six people with one beer is a hell of a lot more fun than one person with six. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have a lot more friends if you're just not a fucking elitist tool bag, you know. And so, um, and and so like growing up, I was like this mega fan of everything. And so, um, but I always had them so built up on pedestals that they weren't even people, you know. So like, you know, so like the these stories that I loved, you know, it's just like uh, the shine is one of my favorite stories of all time, The Exorcist, you know, the whole thing. And then like Slayer and Lamb of God and Machine Head and these bands that are just like, they're like, they're like superheroes to me, you know? Yeah. And so growing up in a little tiny, that same ho-dunk little shit town, like I, I remember I had times like I would just walk around town until like 4 a.m. just listening to music. That was it. And so like I just fucking listen to music on my old school Walkman, you know? 
And and so um and I'd have a CD wallet and just a Walkman, and I'd be walking around town to fucking 4 a.m. I was like 20 below zero in the middle of the wintertime. You know, I was like a 15 year old kid. So I didn't have anything else to do, no fucking parents. And so um, the music was what I had, and the stories and the books is what I had. And so, like, as a kid, I never once would have imagined that I'd even see my name on a book, whether I published it myself or not, let alone have an, a metal album that, like, some community at large would be like, this is good shit, you know? That's awesome. Like, like you always assume that the talent is elsewhere, you know? Yeah. Like that everybody else has the talent. I mean, and if you talk to any other, that's what I love about getting into indie conversations. That's what I love about you guys too. Like there's this mega passion that goes around. You're almost more excited to talk about everybody else's stuff than you are to talk about your own. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like coming on here, you know, I was like, I was telling Becca, I was like, oh, we can bullshit for hours about, about the exorcist, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Evil Dead. Like, <laughs> I was like, you can talk about your own shit? And I was like, ah, maybe. <laughs> if it comes up in conversation. <laughs> if it comes up, sure, I guess. But, but, but it, like, so that was the big moment, like a big moment for me that I was like, I do know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And I think that was the biggest thing is that final vote of self-confidence because you get stuck in this whole, like, you know, have you guys seen Pick a Destiny? Yes. yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah, right? Hell yeah. And so, like, and that stupid gig simulator he does, and fuck, I lose it every fucking time when he's doing that gig simulator. He's popping fucking beer bottles on his head. <laughs> and like, he power slides, breaks that little guitar, and he looks up at him. He's like, I suck. Like, that's every independent artist. Absolutely. Like, like, we're all neurotic. We're all crazy people, you know, and we're all convinced we suck, you know. It's isn't like, it great when it, someone tells you it's good? Right, exactly. And so, like, that was that big moment, like, with the IMAs. It's like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, the dudes that I was up against, too, which is all fantastic fucking material. And so, like, um, uh, go to the, you go to their Facebook pages and all these other bands that, you know, like, like 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers, which is pretty par for the course, you know, because they're killing it. And, like, you go to, like, the Skeleton Rose Facebook, to this day, there's, like, 195 people. Like they follow the Facebook, and so it was like we were up for like album of the year in the IMAs with like not even 200 followers on Facebook, you know. So it's like how fucking nuts is this, with two dudes that did everything themselves, you know? Yeah, that's and, insane. And and I was like, that's the day and age we're living in. So like when when people, because ever especially since the album of the year thing, you know, every everybody plays guitar, and a lot of people come to me and, well, I'd love to play guitar and drop some guitar lines and stuff, but you know, and I love playing music, but I just could never get it off the ground. It's like man trust me the only one standing in your way is you you know because all these apps are free it's not like i use some 500 hundred dollar piece of equipment you know exactly um, yeah it's like i had used GarageBand, which even if you're you get for free if you're an apple user and if you're not an apple user i think it's five bucks or something like that so it's like so it's like all the tools are available available to use at your disposal all the pictures that i put in the books the, the digital photography and stuff i take all that shit on my phone mm -hmm. you know and so it's like I take all that shit on my phone and then I you just kind of get a taste for how to color scheme them and, and edit them up. And, and if you're passionate enough about it, it'll eventually speak to you. And it's, I mean, it's just it's elbow grease. It's, it's burning the shoe leather off your shoes. You know, it's, that's where all of this starts, you know. And, and so, like, we're living in a day and age where we're taking the keys of production from gigantic companies and giving them. I mean, they're available to everybody, you know. And so, yeah, that's what I love about the the indie scene too, and that's what I love talking about 
uh, talking with everybody who's involved in like the indie horror scene is, or any indie scene in general, really is like you you get the pure passion from them because that's what they're doing it for. Exactly. It's, it's not, not for any other reason. It's not to... like money based or like for like you know attention. It's because they had this idea and they, and they had the it. drive. Because I'll tell you right now, I'm one of the laziest fucking people I know. I don't, <laughs> I don't have the drive. Like, I could get a million ideas in my head a day, and I would not have the fucking drive to be like, you know what? I'm going to follow through with this. So, I mean, I'm going to do this. It sounds good today. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. So, if you have the drive to actually, like, take this idea you have and make it real, like, in right. that way alone, that's what right. I fucking love about the indie scene. So, that's why right. every time, and every time we talk to anybody, like, they always have, like, the best fucking stories and i like i could literally sit here and listen to you talk for like fucking five hours about (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing too is that when you're speaking you can hear how passionate you are about your music and your books and your writing and i think um speaking with the littler guys doing this stuff the the indie people the people putting out their own work like you hear it so much more through them Mm -hmm. and like we have well, no I, understanding of how any of this works, you know? So it's, like, something that we're learning and we're hearing from you and, and other people we've talked to about publishing and releasing movies and releasing music. Like, it's, like, this whole really cool learning process that we're getting from you guys, which is just oh, awesome. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and, and that, um, and I think that, I mean, to tie it all together, too, I had uh, listened to you guys' episode on exorcism. Mm-hmm. And um, and I listened to that one actually Friday night or yeah, Friday night after Beck and I had gotten done watching The Exorcist, we're driving back. Were you our... bummed out that we didn't do The Exorcist? <laughs> yeah, right. As I, I was like, I looked at Beck, I was like, I doubt that they'll hit on The Exorcist because there's no need to. Yeah. Well, I mean, The Exorcist, <laughs> we're we're we saving... have a plan for The Exorcist. It's going to be its own episode. Yeah, That's I think it needs to have its own like we dedicated of, episode. We're for easing it. towards oh, for sure. the exorcisms. <laughs> Right, and, and so like you guys had hit on a couple of things in that in that podcast where, uh, where you were talking about how the practical effects always hit home more, and that's not just for possession movies. I think, I mean, this I'm speaking straight from the hip here. But, oh yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But but uh, it, that's not just for exorcism movies. I think that that goes for everything in general. I mean, yeah. the, the big ones we brought up already was Evil Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all Halloween. Practical effects, amazing. All all practical effects, all classic stuff, and you and and the reason why it was all practical effect was because that's what you had to rely on back then. Well, you know what, though, too, is think about modern-day horror movies and think about your favorite ones. I think Rob, I go to Rob Zombie instantly when I think of modern horror. He does practical oh, effects. Yeah. Like, his movies are practical effects. Yeah. They're so yeah. fucking good. They're so solid. Yeah. Why? Because they look great. They're, mm-hmm. They look real. When people and rely was, so much on the computers, it's like, ugh. Right. Well, I, I mean, and, and, and the other thing that's great, you know, so, so the practical effects are twofold. The reason why they did them back then is because, for one, even if you had the budget, you had you had no access to CGI. Exactly. Back, back in the fucking seventies, and two, most of these classic horror movies, they didn't have the fucking budget anyway. Even if it would have existed, so like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, hardly even saw distribution because of the violent ideas presented within. So, like that, you were talking about an indie movie. That was a fucking indie. Exactly, movie. Yeah. and that's the thing that's crazy is that like it, something so small at its at its original release, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was not out to be a cult classic, and it right. is. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, and if you look, some of the shit that I just fucking love is, like, if you watch that movie, you know, you... you these movies have this, like, 
this aura around them. Like if you say the exorcist, mm-hmm. like the room will go silent. You know, if you say yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the room will go silent. And it happened at that fucking theater. The first half hour of the movie when things are real slow, you know, everybody's kind of jokey, giggly, laughing. And I was sitting there thinking, it was like, it'll get real fucking quiet. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. it'll, get, it's like it'll get real fucking quiet. Like when they walk in, uh, when they, like, they, it'll get real fucking quiet when she stands up and, and she says, like, stay away from her. The sow is mine. You know, yeah. I was like, it'll get real fucking quiet in here. Like once that happens, it's because of the aura that this movie has. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think, has the exact same sort of uh, vibe to it. You know, mm-hmm. say, say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and everybody assumes it's this horrendous gore fest. And if you go back and look, there's not a whole lot of blood. No, no. there's not. They, they don't. It, it, it's it's the it, it's the Scarface effect. Like the like Scarface, uh, Scarface had a huge issue with the chainsaw scene when it first came out. Like and they're like, there's in America, it wasn't going to see distribution, and they were they weren't they were going to get an X rating because of the chainsaw scene. But if you go back and watch, they show you some spritz across his face, and then nothing. Yeah. And 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 so uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Think back on it now. Can you recall a scene when his chainsaw is covered in blood? No. <laughs> it never has blood on it. Like like if you go back and watch it, like the chainsaw, he cuts up how many fucking people, and there's never any blood on it. Now, I mean, it pales in comparison, too, to shit that gets released even today. Like, Yeah, yeah, but, like, even... I think the thing is that in the 70s and somewhat into the 80s, I feel like the 80s, they really started getting big with the gore. But in the 70s, I feel like they re- definitely relied more on tone. Well, I mean, you're coming out of an era, too. Yeah. Like, the 50s and the 60s were... It was, it was very it tame. It was like monsters. It was very tame yeah. to have a horror movie, yeah. And, 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 so, and so the reason you guys are talking about... and, and, and and when you guys were talking about uh, Carrie too, and I don't remember which podcast it was, you guys were talking about Carrie mm-hmm. and, the, and the practical effects and the camera work and why that really struck you. It's like, cause like, like, okay, so moving away from the CGI now, you know, so it's like, okay, so CGI is not available either for budget and because it doesn't exist. And two, uh, so that's why you had a lot more developments. Like you had to know how to cut. You had to know how to edit. You had to know cinematography. You had to know how to create a sense of dread from pure storytelling rather than relying on the money and the lights and the flash bulbs in the CGI room. So like, so like you had some of these cinematographer, I'd see if I can pronounce it, cine, cinematographic effects um, that created real sense, senses of dread because that's all you had to rely on. Mm-hmm. So like you get way more involved in this, in the characters and way more involved in the sense of dread that's being created rather than the blood and the gore. So, like, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the thing that always sticks out to me is when he's chasing her through the fucking woods and, uh, and, and, and Gunnar Hansen, he starts... Uh, and Gunnar Hansen starts, like, chasing her. And behind her, because he's a big, huge, hulking dude, as he's running up behind her, he starts filling up the screen behind her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so it's like, he's chasing her around, she's screaming her head off, and, like, a hulking fucking beast... He's just filling up the screen behind her, and it's like Jesus Christ! Like, you need to like come on for them. one of our normal episodes and talk movies with us. Like you really oh, do. Sure. <laughs> oh, I would. I absolutely love it, man. So I mean, because this is the shit I get to do. It like I'm pretty fortunate at the job that I work at. I get to do this kind of shit with like my buddies. Yeah. And so like while we're working, we get to talk about a lot of this stuff. And so like that's actually where a lot of the ideas from my books come from is I kick ideas around to them. That's cool. You know? And and so like uh and so like some of my favorite spots, I call them spots, um 
like uh, so deaths or memorable like uh, uh, sections, I guess. Um, I call them spots. And so like some of my favorite spots that I've ever done in any of my books aren't even stuff I came up with. Like it's 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 something that like a buddy of mine came up with, and it's, so it's like that's the beauty of some of this stuff too is yeah. like yeah. togetherness, and that comes back to what I was saying earlier. Where like, and I did go through an ugly period with it for a while because like I grew up like I said because what I had available was classic horror, and so everything that wasn't classic horror was shit, right? Yeah, you know, it's like it's like everything everything that's not the fucking Everything that's not John Carpenter's The Thing is garbage. You know? <laughs> so it's like, have you even seen it? I don't have to see it. You know? I feel like we've been talking about that a lot lately on the show, like yeah. um, how it's hard sometimes to not be biased, but yeah. you have to kind of step back. Right, right. And, and, and I'm trying to this day to come out of that mm-hmm. and, and, and be like, okay, I might not be a fan of it, but I can see where the quality is and where people would dig it. I work you know? on that 90% of the time and then the other... Sp- 10% I'm like fuck that right it, it, you can't help it sometimes like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it just happens and you and you, it just comes out but like and but like this whole thing of getting together in this day and age like you can find any pocket of people that are into the same shit that you're into you know so like and that's where I talked about like coming out of that you know like I said doing the math on this like having six people around with one beer bullshitting about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a hell of a lot more fun than sitting by yourself and chugging six beers watching it all by yourself yeah. you know yeah. and, and and so like that's I think why I think it's important and I remember Rob Zombie I remember listening to an interview with him this is years back now this is years back now I remember listening to an interview with him where he was talking about how I can't I think this is when he remade uh, Halloween which I fucking loved by the way I loved his remake like I didn't like the second one that he did the no second course. one, I, I agree. Have you seen the director's cut? No, I haven't. I would watch that before you fully form an opinion. Because I had the exact same... Now, look, I, I come in peace, okay? Like, you got this. Like, you go. You're good. All right. I, I come in peace. But I had the exact same... Me and my brother Paul are huge Halloween fans, and we had the exact same opinion on the second one that, that, that you do. And, and, and so we'd read up on it a little bit because it seems strange. Yeah, it, it seemed like a strange move, especially after the first one. We read up on it, and like many, like many instances in modern day Hollywood, um, especially with dudes that are dedicated to story. I'm a big believer of that. That like, tell your story in one story, you know, and make it very clear if your story is going to take several movies to tell. Mm-hmm. That's like from the start, you're aware that there's going to be multiple movies, you know. I hate the one scene that makes it available to have a sequel, you know, yeah. like, and so it's like, tell a complete story. I'm just, I mean, and, and I think, uh, books like coming from the novel side of it, I think that is, I think that it, that bleeds out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just telling you a complete story. But, um, but Paul and I had the exact same opinion of the theatrical release that you do. We done a little bit of digging and Paul got his hands on the director's cut. And so he's like, dude, you got to check this out. It's a completely different movie. And I'm like, dude, I fucking hated that second one. Yeah. I was like, I hated it. He's like, dude, I know, I know, but sit down and watch it. He's like, I'm not promising gold, you know, but I'm saying it's a different movie and it's much better. And we did a little bit of reading on it. Zombie was not going to do the second one. Like he wanted to just remake the first one. That was it. 
And so they were like, well, you got to make a second one. I don't remember why he did it, but like he didn't have any intention of doing it, which is, like I said, a pretty common thing for storytellers. The original Batman Begins, Christopher Nolan was not, had no intention of making The Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises. He only wanted to do Batman Begins. And then when he made Rise, and then when he made The Dark Knight, he had no intention of doing Rises. And then he ended up doing Rises. And then he was like, I'm fucking done. Go get somebody else, you know? Yeah. And so this happens a lot with these people that'll tell one story. And it's like, I never wanted to do a second one. That's why it sucks. The original, the original Halloween 2, John Carpenter only meant to do the first one. And, and so, like, the second one was never supposed to exist. And so that's why Carpenter didn't come in until post-production, and he had changed a bunch of the editing around because he's like, you guys made a 90-minute movie that wasn't scary, that wasn't even supposed to exist, you know? And so he had gone in and added a bunch of stuff. So he that... was like, nah, let me fix it. You fucked up. <laughs> right. And, I feel and like so that's it's an like... ongoing thing in the 80s, too, because it was the same thing with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Wes Craven was like, I don't want a sequel. I don't want a sequel. And then on comes six sequels. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so... Um, now, now you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But I believe he had tried to uh, wrap it all up or, or fix the endless sequel problem with Wes Craven's New Nightmare, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was kind so of he wanted to make Freddy scary again, which right, I think what, it was what, successful because it wasn't, you know, tongue-in-cheek horror that... Campy horror comedy is tough to do, man. It, yeah. it, 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 it's very, very difficult. I mean, we can get into that in a little bit, but... But because uh, I feel like the Brits have it figured out, like <laughs> horror comedy, like I think they've got it fucking nailed down. And so anyway, um, anyway, uh, so just to wrap up one topic before we move to the next, yeah. I would give the director's edition a shot, which I don't understand why movie production companies even have editors anyway, because they ruin more movies than they than they fix. And yeah. And then they always end up coming out with a director's cut, which is the story that the director wanted to tell from the fucking start. And like, oh, flashball moment, lo and behold, the director the director has a better idea for the story he wanted to tell to begin with. Who fucking knew? I'll have you know? to check it out then. So I, I would at least give that a, you know, a rent. I'm going to trust you only because that's the only time Rod Zombie has ever let me down. Right. I, I'm not, like I said, same deal as my brother told me. I'm not promising gold, okay? I'm, I'm not promising gold. I'm not promising... Just give it a chance. Right. I'm not promising that it's going to revitalize and change your opinion entirely on, on on the second one. But it is a far superior movie than the theatrical release. I'll definitely check it out, though. As far as editors go, though, we, we had this conversation a lot, too. Um, we did a Blair Witch episode, and uh, Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, they basically released an entirely different movie than what was filmed. And yeah. now Blair Witch 2, I will say... I don't like saying this about movies, but I will say Blair Witch Two was fucking terrible. <laughs> like, yes, yes, but, uh, yes. And, where's the book? We we like the where's the book of shadows question. Yeah, That's but they, if you look into it, Artisan Films they changed the director's vi- vision of it completely. And if you look, you can look into the it. The scenes and, weren't even laid out in the same. Yeah, they changed the order of the scenes. They reshot shit. They added random scenes in to make it scary. Um, right, right. But you know, if you you can look up like interviews or like quotes that the director had said and like get an idea of the vision that he had with it. Is he and the it, one that tried to get his name taken off of it? No, that was uh Ty West with Cabin Fever 2. Yeah, another yeah. one. Yeah, but the yeah. same thing though. Cabin Fever 2, Ty West made 
what he thought was a good movie. Which Ty West is fantastic. Yeah. I was really disappointed. And they completely changed right. it and made it a campy, fucking cheesy horror movie. Which you know, the first Cabin Fever, it's not my favorite movie, but it, it's it's an enjoyable movie to watch. So, no, for sure, yeah. And I love Ty West, so I would love to see you know his vision on it. But right. You know, they went in, they changed it. He wanted to get his name taken off of it, and they basically said, no, that's not going to fucking keep happen. Make indi- keep making independent films, guys. Yeah. That's the only way. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and the, the dumb, dumb shit about it is, is is they'll do ridiculous stuff like that that is purely marketing ploys that everyone in the whole universe is going to make fun of, you know, and they'll do it anyway because they need to cash in on a movie because, like, editors and production companies get cold feet really fucking fast. Mm-hmm. And and so they the all it is is dollars and cents to them rather than caring about the story and so that's the the struggle is the ones that have the money are not the ones that are concerned with us like with the neurotic storytellers they're like you guys don't understand how great this scene will be like, you know so it's like we're sitting there screaming at them and they're like yeah man we don't have any money you know well the same thing happened with uh, Exorcist three which okay so there is a sequel. So the the book came before the movie with The Exorcist. William Peter Blatty wrote the screenplay for The Exorcist, which is basically scene for scene, line for line out of the book. It's one of the best screenplays ever written, and that's always the best when they go book to movie mm-hmm. is when is when it's like scene for scene. And, and, and so William Peter Blatty had done the screenplay for The Exorcist. That's why it's fucking great and brilliant. Now, there is a sequel to the novel The Exorcist called Legion. And so... Um, Exorcist 2 was fucking terrible. And William Peter Blatty's like, I have nothing to do with it. It's garbage. Like, you know, don't go see it. It's fucking terrible. And then, like, and, and like they, they come back to him and they're like, how do, you know, how do we save it or whatever? And he's just like, pretend like the second one never existed and just move on and go tell a different story. You know, go, go, little bunny, and go do other stuff. You know, <laughs> you know. And, and so they're like, well, no, we got to do another Exorcist. We've got another Exorcist. So Exorcist 3. What the screenplay was written by William Peter Blatty again, and he made that one, which is actually Legion. So mm. like that follows. So Exorcist Three is really Exorcist Two, but they build it as Exorcist Three, which doesn't. It's it, It's just a, a stupid blunder. <laughs> that like a, a lot of us like Exorcist nerds just scream about, and the idea too that like when you get these million dollar ideas, I guess you have. To ex- that, just for lo- that lack of a better way of putting it, these million dollar ideas, the cash in ideas, like the sob idea, you know, the, the saw idea, the paranormal idea, because all this stuff, the Ouija boards and all that stuff, when they did it in the Exorcist, that was the first time they the world had ever seen that. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's the first time they'd ever seen an exorcism. It was the first time they'd ever seen the Ouija boards. The first time they'd ever seen head spinning around. It was the first time they'd ever seen a little girl in a white bed sheet bowing up you know and 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 fucking herself with a crucifix you know so it was the first time the world had ever seen that and so all of a sudden it turns into oprah and you get an exorcism and you get an exorcism and you get an exorcism <laughs> it's like, it's like you want to know why that shit is so effective is because it's it's a it's a one-time idea mm-hmm. and when you're telling stories and when you're telling stories especially with fear and you want people to suspend their disbelief um one of one of the things that's important is how much time you expose people to something. And 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 so like paranormal activity had the exact same problem. Paranormal activities one and two, fucking fantastic story. And 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 one of the reasons that made it so chilling was because it was like a one-off. 
It was like, this, this exists on its own kind of thing. And after a while, when you give too many fucking answers, especially when dealing with paranormal, mm-hmm. you give the audience time to go, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. You know? And then once they go, that's fucking dumb, you've, you've lost them. You know, and, and, and so that's the thing, especially with supernatural and paranormal and exorcist movies, you can't all have an exorcism. You, you can't do it because, yeah. because, here, because it's a, it, one of the reasons it's so effective in The Exorcist is because, for one, William Peter Blatty and William Friedkin were both Catholics, and they had written the whole story not actually as a horror story. They'd written it as an apostolic, uh, as an apostolic testament to the power of Catholicism in Christ and whatever. Now, buy into that if you want that. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that's that was their purpose right? yeah. for, for writing it. So they, they wrote it. They wrote it from the heart, you know, and they had written it from the heart. And, and, and so um, the reason why there's so much depth is because you see this crisis of faith that Damien Karras, who's my favorite character of all time. Like the reason why there's so much depth in that movie is because the whole thing is sincere. Yeah, and, and it's not like they're throwing it in as a plot element, you know. And and so like I come from the standpoint of like if you're gonna do a paranormal something and deal with demons because they're a monster just like anything else in your cupboard, you know, in your your monster cupboard, you know. Um, so they're they're a monster that you can pick to put in your story just like anything else. But uh, uh, you got to earn your exorcism, you know. And and like it's like I'm sorry guys, you can't all have a fucking exorcism. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love. The Evil Dead is they were dealing with demons. There's no exorcism. Exactly. You know, and it's still fucking terrifying. You know, and so it's like you can do this stuff and not have an exorcism, but of course everybody's drawn to the exorcism because well, it's gotten really popular. I feel like it's dying. I feel like it's dying out again. But a few years ago, I feel like it got really popular, and that's like all those movies we covered all came out in like a what a good like six year span. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, in the exorcisms right episode, and none of them were like excellent movies they were all kind of whatever you know well yeah because they were using the exorcism as a plot device rather than as rather than as as from a place of sincerity you know and and so like one of the things like that exorcism scene is just fucking chilling i mean obviously because of because of the creepy stuff that reagan is doing but like you see karis that whole scene and it's like he's he's he wants to believe so bad you know he wants to believe that it's real. So, like, when she's levitating over the bed and stuff, and they're saying the power of Christ compels you, watch Damien Karras in that scene. He's like, he's like digging into what he's saying, trying to convince himself. Yeah. You know, because it, because the whole, the way that exorcisms work, not not to be a snoot or a snob or whatever <laughs> else, but you know, being a Catholic, you know, like I, I always love listening to William Peter Blatty before he died. He, like, he's like. He's like, when I wrote The Exorcist, he's like, I didn't write, I didn't set up to write a horror story, which to this day would probably be an admittance of catastrophic failure on my part. <laughs> you know? So it's like, he, he didn't set out to write a horror story, but it, it's one of the horror, greatest horror stories of all time. And so like, he's like, he's like, I always love, like they, they pull me out at Halloween time, like some sort of demonic Punxsutawney Phil, you know? And so it's like, he comes out and the Catholic church shows The Exorcist and all these different Catholic churches around the nation. And there is a mass heard of people just assaulting the confessionals you know <laughs> like immediately right after and so it was like like he they had written it from that standpoint of of, of like a crisis of faith and a truly gripping emotional story 
And so when you don't come and you, you don't, when you don't come at the exorcism from that standpoint, you're going to fail and, and you're going to fall flat because like you guys have talked about in, in, in the, uh, in the podcast, it comes off. You're very aware that they're doing the effects. Mm-hmm. You're very aware that they're goring this person up. You're very aware that that's a contortionist or you're very aware. It, you, it pulls you out of the disbelief. Exactly, yeah. It pulls you out of the suspension of disbelief because you're aware it's a movie. And, and, and so like in the, in movies like the exorcist, it's like, Oh no, you want to know what happens because in that movie for that two hours that the exorcist is going on, like she's not Linda Blair, she's Reagan and she's fucking <laughs> possessed, you know? And like, and, and you want to, and you want to see what happens to this character and somewhere along the way, horror lost that. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm saying right now, when we eventually do our exorcist episode, there's nobody else I'm asking to come on. Like, I'm volunteering you to come on to talk to Exorcist with us. Do we have that scheduled yet? <laughs> no, but oh, I can I'm... make it happen. <laughs> How have we not scheduled the Exorcist yet? I thought we were going to do it in November. I'm, I'm, I, I, for, for one thing, I, I'm absolutely honored, and you guys don't have to do that. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that there's just as many Exorcist nerds out there as anyone. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm... Not that we've met yet. <laughs> <laughs> you're the, you're the, the bit, you're the number one right now. Well... well I, I tell you, I mean, if you guys schedule it out, and if you'd love to have me on, I would absolutely love to come on and talk about The Exorcist. But, we'll make uh, it happen. Definitely. You can definitely but, be on our Exorcist. And, like, so. I had totally just, and this is, like I said, the Lazy Susan thing. I had done uh, just, this is totally as an aside. When I did, when I released The Big Red Devil, this is a really funny story. I would released The Big Red Devil, and I straight up, um, uh, so... When I was young, I'd gain, like, I, I was an old football player. I was an old lineman, and so I was really, really heavy for a lot of years, and I'd bloomed up. I, I weighed 365 pounds in college. I'd lost all the weight, and when I lost all the weight, um, I started doing a lot of yoga and a lot of um, circuit training and stuff, so I so uh, like, gained a lot of flexibility. And so like I can do that bridge, and I can do the spider walk thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, That's I, so creepy. I, I had gored myself up. I gored myself up and I had posed on our staircase here in my house. And like I had Becca take a picture like from underneath and I put a timestamp on it of like 318, you know. And so like I posted it just as a, just as a like a promotional thing mm. for the Big Red Devil. And um, I had con- some guy had contacted me. Uh, he he runs he runs a gay horror site and it, it's it's a genre, it's a genre, believe it or not, gay and LGBT horror. And, and and so like uh, he had contacted me because I had uh, 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 two of the characters in the Big Red Devil are a lesbian couple, and so he had contacted me because there was you know a, a lesbian couple and I'm an indie horror writer and stuff like that. He's like I'd love to promote it and yada yada yada. And I was like any press is good press, man. You know, so I was like fuck yeah. No, I mean he's like if you're gonna review it and read it, fuck yeah, man. You know, and so he had taken that picture. And put it up on his website, and he's like, "Gay horror author John Huber gets hardcore with his selfies," <laughs> and, and 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 I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> it, it, it was the Seinfeld thing where I was like, "I've been outed, and I was never even in." <laughs> I, I contacted him. I sent him a message. I was like, "Hey, look, I would still love the promotion and stuff, but I should let you know, I myself am not a gay man. You know, I was like, just so you don't." promote it as me being a gay horror author you know 
I, because that's dishonest and I, and, I, and I don't want anybody following me specifically for that reason and then finding out that I'm heterosexual. Like right? yeah. as, as, just to be clear, you know, as, as like, he's like, oh, dude, shit, my bad. He's like, no worries. He's like, I'll change that right now. I was like, I'm, I'm sure it's probably not a big deal. I, I just, you know, I was like, I would just, I don't want anybody following me thinking that I'm a, I'm, that I'm a gay man and they're following me because they're like, oh, support gay horror authors or something, right? Yeah. And then they well, find they out that I'm heterosexual and then you deal with that that horror mess you know and so I, and so he's like oh no it's a good thing you told me man and i was like i was like oh really he's like he's like yeah especially from all the unsolicited dick pics you'll get i was like it's like what he's like oh believe me they'll come and i was like that's the bullshit right no shit like 20 minutes later i had three different dick pics sent to me on facebook holy shit. I, was like, I was like oh my god like like i, I didn't respond to him I was like, I was like, I just let him be, I guess. And I was like, and I had friends texting me. Anyway. It's like, I, thanks, I, man. I, like, yeah, I had friends texting me, and they're like, "Are you like, is this where you come out? Is this like, I would have not have pegged you for a gay person. I mean, it's cool, but like, I don't. Have, I was like, no, I'm not gay. I just like, I was like, I'm not gay. I was like, it was just a stupid little mix-up or whatever, you know? Like, I mean, just picture, just like, getting a dick pic and writing back, like, I hope you enjoyed the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, did you read the book at all or anything like that? You know, like, so, let me know what you think. Yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, glad you liked it, you know? Like, so, I'm going to take it as a compliment. But, like, so, anyway, getting back to the, the, vein, of, uh, the vein of the discussion or whatever, uh, um, like... Getting back to the vein of the discussion or whatever, the like, like, and, and with exorcisms too. The reason I suppose, I mean, without getting into it too much, because if we cover everything here, there'd be no reason for me to come back, you know. <laughs> but but uh, so, so just real quick, like, like one of the reasons why Karis's Crisis of Faith is such a huge deal in that movie is because traditionally, and traditionally. Uh, the way that exorcisms have to work is there has to be an unwavering, unbroken faith from the exorcists in what they're doing. You know, so like the two exorcists or the, however many exorcists are involved have to be completely stalwart and unshaken in their faith. That's why they're pretty picky about who they let perform them. And so Karis's crisis of faith is a large problem because if they're not stalwart in their faith, they have no power according to biblical lore to cast out demons because there's a story of uh, uh and, and becca's a little bit more read up on on some of the verses and stuff and everything now that was, coming from the catholic upbringing like i had done an, an ama on reddit after the big red devil and people had asked me like what was my favorite horror book and i was like it's the bible the bible's rated r like <laughs> yeah. you go read it i mean i'm serious like the bible's fucking and not only that there's a lot of that shit that comes across from like the catholic upbringing catholics are fucking intense yeah like their angels are almost as horrifying as their demons, you know? So like, if you go in and look at like, like Gabriel and St. Michael and stuff, they're like fucking warriors, like beheading demons and shit. And so like, and so like a lot of that had, has followed me now, you know, even to, um, what I do now, it, you know, there, there's a lot of like, now I look, I don't get preachy or sermony in anything that I write. I'm just saying that like I center around that, um, you know, um, the nature of God and man and, and a lot of that mm -hmm. kind of as it pertains to the horror stories that I write. And so, um, uh, 
there's a story in I uh, can't remember the, the verse or whatever uh, guys possessed and there's uh, uh, a guy comes to call or whatever he tries to drive out the demon and he says in the name of St. Peter I drive you out and the demon says I know St. Peter uh, what, what was that? Okay. Oh yeah, he goes. He goes in the name of Jesus and Paul. I cast you out, and the demon goes. I know Jesus and Paul. I don't know you, you know. And I believe, I believe, uh, I believe he kills the guy after that, in, in the biblical story or whatever. Yeah, there were a bunch of guys that like. So it's like not anybody can just fucking walk in, and make it work, you yeah. know. And, and so like that's what I love about like uh, the, the exorcism and the conjuring is like Ed Ward is like. I'm going to do this, right? And it's like, this is just going to make shit worse. I definitely question that yeah. when you did that. I was like, I was like, like wait, hold up. <laughs> what, what qualifications yeah, do you Yeah, where are your qualifications, <laughs> sir? Because last time I, I checked, you were not a priest. He didn't have any qualifications. And that's why, like, if you watch the movie, that's why it makes it worse. And and so, like, it makes it worse, like, after after he tries to perform the exorcism. And, like, as he's going through, she starts levitating or whatever. And he's, like, flipping through the book. He's like, yeah, the bitch is floating. Like, <laughs> like, where are the instructions on what to say? You know, like, so it's like he starts panicking. And I mean, but that's the important thing about a lot of uh, the, sons of Siva. the sons of Siva. That's that's the uh, that's the biblical story surrounding a lot of this. It's like that's why uh, a lot of this is very specialized and very routinized and very ritualized, and that's why Karis's conflict of faith is such a large plot point because it, because if Karis doesn't believe it, it, it strengthens the power of the exorcist to try to cast out the demon. So, uh, in a very long circling way, um, you know, it kind of ties back into what you're talking about too, about like who can perform exorcisms and everything else. It, anybody, look in any, you can do anything you want, you know, but, not everybody's going to have, I, I suppose, you know, should you buy into the possession, everything else. And that's one of the things I love about the book, The Exorcist, so much is even Blatty doesn't 100 percent tell you what it is, whether it's the power of suggestion or the power of demonic possession. Mm -hmm. And so Harris being a psychiatrist. Like he's at this conflict where like all this shit that he knows about psychologically, which is a lot of the same shit that I studied in grad school. I went to grad school for forensic psychology. And so like you learn about a lot of this shit. And so it's like it, the power of suggestion, the power of the mind over the human body is incredible stuff. And some of like the stories that like I had to study in grad school are fucking nuts. And so like they don't even involve demons, but it's still weird shit. And so, um, everybody in the room has to buy in to the ritual of exorcism and they and they and they hit on that in the exorcist where he's like he's like the same belief in the power of the demon is the same thing that can make it disappear you know and so like that's why there's that little scene where Karis leaves the house after the first time and he looks back at at uh, Chris and he says he said did Reagan know that a priest was coming over tonight because that's important, because if she knew that Karis was a priest, it does nothing but strengthen her belief that she's possessed. Yeah. And so, like, and so it's like it does nothing but strengthen her belief that she's possessed, and it can taint how her subconscious mind deals with Karis to begin with. So, like, that's why reacting to the holy water when it's not actually holy water is such a big deal. Because it's like, it's like well, if she was actually possessed, she would have no reaction to the holy water. And so, like, he looks back at 
at Chris during that scene. He goes, did you know that my mother died recently? She goes, yeah, I know. He goes, no, is Reagan aware of it? She goes, no, I don't think so. Why? And he goes, it's not important. Good night. The reason he says that is because it's like that's information she could or could not be privy to, you know, before he goes into that room. So if there's no way Reagan could know, then it supports a case for exorcism through the power of knowledge of the unknown. If there's a possible way she could have known, then it does not support a case for exorcism because of the subcount. Like there's there's a I'm, I'm blanking on uh, the nature of it, but there was some some gal in a boarding school. And uh, I believe it was Samaria. And so uh, they had a house guest who would recite her prayers in uh, Sumerian or, or, or some language. And the girl would usually be asleep because the house guest would would recite it late at night kind of thing. And so this girl at the age of like 30, like woke up one day and knew Sumerian. Mm-hmm. And so does it mean that she's possessed? Probably not. But her subconscious mind, you hold on to all different bits of information throughout your life, all different kinds of stuff. And so like your mind can sit in the back, like, like below your waking consciousness and be putting together some of this shit while you're not even aware of it. So like those aha moments you might have, you know, like, like those aha moments you might have at some point, your subconscious mind is constantly working on that shit. And so like, when she wakes up one day and knows Sumerian, but they had a house guest that recited her prayers in Sumerian, you've been exposed to the language, so you can't wholeheartedly say that you have no exposure to it. So, I mean, I'm getting into semantics and some boring stuff. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that, like, that's how deep a lot of this, I mean, I'm just saying that's that's how deep a lot of this shit goes, you know, in, in terms of uh, when, you're, when you start throwing around the word possession. And the reason why the reason why all this comes full circle with you guys' podcast is it's like William Peter Blatty understood the nuances of all of this. And William Friedkin understood the nuances of all of this. And I just have a hard time believing, like with the exorcism of Emily Rose and the last exorcism and everybody that's getting a fucking exorcism, I have a hard time believing that a lot of these dudes did more than a 10-minute Google search. Yeah, you know, yeah. no, absolutely. Right, and it, and it doesn't come off as heavy or weighty because it's not as fucking passionate, I guess, you know, Honestly, so I feel like they probably watched the exorcist got the general gist of how possessed people are supposed to act and made a movie based yeah. on that. Right. Which is, which is really dumb because if you study debated cases of demonic possession, which, you know, if you write horror, it's kind of like required literature, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You kind of have to... I, I always feel that, like, authors need to be... Now, I hate... Just for starters, I feel like a pompous asshole by throwing my, you know, referring to myself as an author or a writer. I, you know, I don't lord over anybody else. I don't, you know, I don't have any uh, delusions of grandiosity about anything that I might know or anything else that's any better than anybody else. It's just... So when I speak about this kind of stuff, I'm not trying to be a prick. You know, you don't come off that way at all. Okay, well, good. It's it's something that I'm. You seem very passionate about. Is passionate about what you're talking about, but you don't seem like a know-it-all or anything like that. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's important to me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't come off because you do. I mean, you do run into some of those dudes too. You know, like. Yeah. No, you're not. You're not one of those dudes at all. Okay, you have some of those who are like everybody 
like he wants everybody to read his book, but he's not willing to read anybody else's kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, and so, uh, anyway, uh, when you study a lot of these cases of demonic possession, the behaviors that Reagan, you know, that they use in The Exorcist is a very small, like, num like, number of behaviors that are seen in, in debated controversial exorcism cases. There's a litany of other behaviors that are used. And so when they only use stuff that's used in the exorcist, yeah. it's like there's other pieces to possession than just fucking ex like than just the exorcist. It's like, kind of like, it's yeah. kind of like, um, I'm going to like show my inner nerd. You did it before this. We're even now, but, uh, I, I get, I hear the same complaint a lot too with, uh, star Wars. Cause they're right. like, there's so many, star Wars. there's so many, like, there's so much lore and like extended like universe shit that they could make a movie out of but they keep going back to the skywalker story and like this is what we're gonna go to and it's it's kind of the same thing like you have a lot that you could build off of but you just keep going back to the one staple that you have right absolutely figure if it worked once it'll keep working yeah right exactly and it's and it's just lazy fucking storytelling yeah and so and so like um now i love so I call it. Uh, I make the distinction between paranormal and, and supernatural horror because they're not the same thing. I don't think paranormal just literally means abnormal. Yeah. So anything that doesn't normally happen, which you know horror is littered with. So literally, I you know I think every horror story is paranormal to some degree because yeah. you're dealing with everything that's abnormal. You know, like with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a group of chain you know a chainsaw wielding cannibal that cuts off people's faces. That's not normal. You know, yeah. so like, so like, you could consider that paranormal, but I understand the association that everybody makes with uh, you know, paranormal the ghosts. Yeah, right, exactly. So, so like supernatural, I, I, I think is what we're talking about. With like, where you're dealing with the ethereal and things that you can't see. Mm-hmm. And and so um, and, and so there's um, there's this uh, like there's a whole universe of stuff that you could use, and so like. A lot of what I do, like in the books and stuff, like I love supernatural horror because it hits on my favorite slice of horror because there's three different kinds of horror in terms of creating horror and dread in an audience goer. There's like legitimate horror where you're horrified at what you're watching. Mm -hmm. So when you see um, when you see Freddie's tongue come through the phone and (laughs) and, uh, French kiss or whatever, that's pretty fucking gross. Yeah. Yeah. so like you're horrified at seeing that, you know, there's the, there's the dread of impossibility. So when Godzilla's foot comes stomping down and he's a million miles bigger than everything around him and you're filled with the sense of dread of there's no way to defeat this hulking monstrosity, you know, you feel overmatched by this gigantic monster, you know, there's that sense of dread. And then there's what we call terror which is the footsteps on your stairs in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> the things you can't see and you can't explain. Exactly. And so it just depends on, you know, as, as when you're telling a horror story, what you like your formula to kind of be. And a lot of dudes will, you know, you'll foray into everything else. Now, I do want to talk about, because, um, you know, we, we brought you on because we wanted to t- hear more about, like, your, uh, your, your work that you've done. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So no. how do you... What kind of themes do you like to explore in like the books that you've let out? Because you have four, four novels out right now, right? Four of them released, yeah. Oh. And 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 I was, and and and, and so I'm using that, 
that piece of, of um, where I was going with that to, to segue into like, I do, a, I, I like to do a lot of supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so now just bear with me because like I had heard like a couple of the other podcasts or whatever, they're like, like supernatural is very hit and miss with you guys. And so um, where I come from with that is like, I like terror, but there's other ways of achieving it without always needing a 12 year old girl in a white nightgown vomiting blood you know and and so and 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 so uh like i did my my my, my sec or uh be my third book be lavender blue i came like i wanted i like starting out with like a solid uh idea i love ideas that are old enough to be new mm-hmm. and, and and so like i love classic traditional clean like big bold badass horror you know and and so horror to me has sort of become a dirty word almost um it, it is i mean I, I mean like not even stephen king considers himself a horror writer right he, he can he considers himself a dark fantasy writer yeah and, and 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 so like it's dark fantasy and if you go into barnes and noble at least the ones they have in fargo there's no longer a horror section it's it's uh, a dark fantasy and and so it's like you know for anybody that enjoys that kind of stuff, good on you. More than happy for it. But I wear the horror word as a badge of pride, and 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 so like I puff my chest out with it. And it's like it's like these stories, and I think that they got this like kind of dirty reputation where like, well, I mean, in how many different horror movies you see come out, they're called thrillers, and they're all ninety minutes long. You know, they're they're all ninety minutes long. They're called thrillers. And nobody's willing to just puff their chest out, other than a couple of the, um, other than a couple indie superheroes like uh, Rob Zombie, who really, to me, is an independent filmmaker, who yeah. is just just got big. Yeah. You know, he still does that independent thing. He does his own thing, and that exactly. really fucking, really fucking inspires me. Which is, which is why um, for years, you know, because um, everybody that writes stuff, you know, it's always that kind of inkling that kicks around the back of your head you're almost ashamed to admit that you published it yourself kind of thing and so like everybody's like well i want to say that i have a publishing house it's like yeah but here's the deal man that's how many other people that have their fingers in your shit (laughs) seriously i mean i mean and we talked about editors and and how much they can fuck shit up you know and so it's like you spend how long working on this story i mean whatever whatever your your jam is whether you're a movie maker or a music writer or a novel writer or whatever you know, you spend how much time doing this and you give it to somebody else and they're just going to slash and gash and cut it and everything else. And, and so for me, for years, I, I mean, when I did Grave Walker, I got a couple of nibbles because that book was done. I went through a slew for like a year and I just cranked out manuscript after manuscript without publishing, you know, so like they were done and then I was going to work on releasing them like this year, which has been a busy fucking year. Mm-hmm. And so... um. I had a couple of nibbles on Gravewalker, a couple of requests for half manuscripts and stuff. And at that point, Gravewalker, I think it was like 95,000 words. And um, that's kind of right in the sweet spot for horror novels. Horror novels generally like what the, I guess the mass market likes to, where they like to have them is between 80,000 words and 120,000 words. And so um, it was right at 90,000 words specifically because like, Gravewalker was the one where I was like, I felt like I was a big boy writer, you know, like, and I wanted to give this the best shot at finally saying I have a publisher. 
And so like I'd sent it, I got a couple of nibbles and like it had come back and they wanted me to cut it down even further. And like, this is good. We like where it's going, but some of this stuff has got to go. Cause in grave Walker, I'm as a writer, I'm obsessed with tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like horror, that's where the beauty of horror comes in is you can tell these beautifully tragic stories in horror. And that's where horror lives. True horror comes from the heart, you know? And, and so um, that's why The Exorcist this day is so gripping. That's why Halloween is so gripping. That's why these practical effects are so gripping because you're making it real and, you, and you're making it something that can actually exist. And so um, and, 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 and so one of the things I'm never afraid to do, and I had a review for Lavender Blue um, is a book swap I did with a guy, an, uh, another author, and he had said in, in Lavender Blue or whatever, uh, He's like, he's like, John Huber proves that he's willing to go places that not many people will go, like, in order to, like, tell a gripping story, you know, like, all of his characters are always really depraved, and there's nothing he's won't really do, and so, in Gravewalker, like, something always wants the fucking children, right, and, and, like, in horror stories, something always wants the kids, and so, but you never have any real fear that the kids are gonna die. You know. Dylan's had this conversation with me yeah. so many times. He's like, I hate it because, like, you know they're pretty much safe characters. Yeah, when you have a, a horror movie or anything like that where it's all kids, like, you know they're safe. You know that, you know, right. nothing's exactly. Happen. We covered, fuck, what movie did we cover where it, like, focused on kids and it was kind of... Was it Poltergeist? Where we were like, no. you know no, right. that the kids yeah. are going to be safe? Yeah. Uh, maybe. And I, I always knew... No, it, it was like Clown House. Movie. Clown House. Uh, yeah, we Clown they episode. weren't so safe from that director. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Dirt Maybe it's day, but, uh, but, but so like, I, I come from it from the standpoint of like, no, man, I'm writing this fucking story. And um, if it's time for you to get your head locked off, like, yeah. you're going to go, you know? I don't discriminate. <laughs> you can be a child and die. It's fine. Right. And so, <laughs> so with Gravewalker, um, there's a spot in it because like I said, I like to take classic horror ideas and then and then execute them well in in, in sort of like a new take on it okay. um, because because I, I feel like we, we live in a day and an age where there are no new monsters like there's nothing you're really going to show anybody that they haven't seen somewhere in some sort of way yeah you know so and so, like, everybody has seen demonically possessed people. Everybody's seen the undead. Everybody's seen werewolves. Everybody's seen vampires. Now, a lot of people get discouraged at that point. And they're like, well, what can I do to make stuff real? It's like, I don't fault the story if it's something I've seen before, as long as you execute it. You know? And so it's like, if I can tell that you're passionate about it, even if it's something I've seen before, if you do it well, you know, it doesn't bug me, you know? And so that's why I like taking classic monsters and, and classic um, ideas and, and, uh, and, and just executing them well. So when I had set out to do Gravewalker, I was like, okay, I was like, zombies, like, I really like zombies, really like the undead. I was like, so how, what's a really cool way to do this? And so like, I had set out and I was like, all right, so from the very start, I was going to have a zombie apocalypse back in like the 1880s because I love spaghetti westerns. Mm. So um, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do a horror Western, a horror spaghetti Western, really. Now, if you watch, when I say spaghetti Western, like there's a difference between John Wayne Westerns and there's a, and Clint Eastwood Westerns. You yeah. Know? So like you watch Clint Eastwood, 
they're about two steps away from a horror movie themselves, you know? And, and so any story actually becomes horror if you push it far enough. Yeah. You know? and, and so if you turn the volume knobs up loud enough, you know, everything becomes horror. And so I was like, I want to do a horror spaghetti Western. And then I was going to set it back in the 1880s when there was this air of, you know, the people are more likely to be superstitious in the 1880s than they are nowadays. And so like, I was like, I'm going to set this in the 1880s and I'm going to say zombie apocalypse shows up and I'm going to have it as like, and I'm going to have these children stolen like the Pied Piper by a beastly angel of death. And they're all going to die and they're all going to rise from the graves. So I was like, so I was like, I was going to have an army of undead children. Okay. And so, there you and go. so was, that's unique. And, and so I was like, and so I was like, that seemed okay to me. And so I was like, and what's a really, and I was like, I'm going to take this even a little bit further because it's one of the things I really like doing. I'm really obsessed with that grueling kind of horror, but here's the deal. You have to be aware of what you're exposing people to. Yeah. And I think that that's another thing too. So it's like, when you're doing demented shit, I think as a storyteller, you can't lose sight of the fact of what you're putting the reader through, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, you have to take that as weighty as it is, you know? So I was like, but I like to make these really, you know, I like to take these scenarios and go really grueling because like I'm a fan of zombie and, and, and everything else. And so I was like, what's a really just, just grueling way for these, for these kids to, to bite it, you know? And so I was like, they're stolen from their parents following this angel of death, like they're following a lullaby. And so I was like, I'll have them impaled the trees like through the mouth. And so I was like, I was like, I was like, that to me was like a really brutal idea. And so like they're hung from trees, like so like tree branches like shoved through to the back of their heads, right? Mm. And so they're hanging there basically like castanets, you know, or like uh, or like little horrific ornaments or, or puppets, you know. And so they're killed in that fashion and then they're re raised as what I call dolls and so like they all have white dresses and curly blonde hair and black eyes and stuff and like really clean shoes and they all look like they're going to church you know and so like that's that's the army of undead legions that come back in Gravewalker that oh, everybody yeah I'm just like I'm visualizing this right now because you're like painting a portrait in my head and it it's yeah that sounds creepy <laughs> there's that and actually uh and I did illustrations for Gravewalker I'd like to do a lot of digital photography to follow along with the books because I I'm not a filmmaker but that's about as close as I can get is doing the digital photography and stuff mm-hmm. but for a Gravewalker westerns are hard man because it's like you need a little bit of startup and you need some money to make everything period appropriate and it's one of those things that like if one person sees a car in the background they're like fake and gay <laughs> you know so like pictures weren't really an option so I started working with some illustrators and did a lot of these drawings which comes off really, really cool because that drawings is what they would have had access to back in, in 1888 anyway. So I did a lot of, I had a lot of these artists do a lot of charcoal work, which I could gore up and really make really visceral and real. And one of the drawings is one of those girls impaled to a tree. That's awesome. And so I was awesome. like, it's like, I'm going to like, I'm going to fucking show it, you know? And so that was one of the things that publishers were like, well, we don't want the dead kids. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's like, I, I'd have to rewrite the whole thing. You know, I was like, that's not just like changing a chapter or two. That's the entire story that you built up. Right. (laughs) Exactly. That's the bend of of the undead, you know. And so it was at that point that I was at a crossroads. I said to myself, I said, self, you got two options here. You know, you can keep chasing this this 
idea of saying that you have a publishing house that publishes your stuff, which really, when you break it down, is just superficiality. It's, you know, you're you're just chasing an achievement. Yeah. R- r- rather than telling the proper story, and I'm and I'm pretty stubborn to begin with, and so I just got sick of, you know, it's like you're gonna publish it or you're not, you know. Yeah. And 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 so it was like, well, we're you know we're not gonna publish it because your stuff is extreme, and so I was just like, well, fuck it then, I'll just do everything myself, you know. And so that's where the Skeleton Rose Media had started, and um, that's where, like, the digital photography had started. And I was like, fuck it, man. I mean, with enough, like we had talked earlier, with the amount of apps and editing tools that you have available to yourself today and whatever you don't know how to do, you can fucking Google, you know, and and learn the proper process for makeup. And, and I don't, not only that, if you talk to people, you'll find that people, they were passionate about drawing or they were passionate about makeup when they were a kid, but some fuckwit came by and like beat it out of them at some point you know whatever they were passionate about like oh, I, I used to love to draw and then my uncle told me it was only for it told me that it was only for gays or whatever you know so so then they're like well i just never drew after that and it's like why man like yeah. you know Who and so like other people say well it's kind of too, it's cool because it's like uh a lot of people might have taken that experience you had with the publishing company and been like all right well maybe what i have isn't good you know maybe I'm not following things the way I should and either A, change the story to have it published or B, just drops it completely. So did you end up self-publishing it? What's that? Did you end up self-publishing it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And so um, it was kind of at that point too, like I had to decide if that was just the way I was, because I'm a very right or left kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I can keep doing this now you know, and it's a cool thing until I can finally get a publisher, you know, as like, but I can kind of see the handwriting on the wall that this is going to be something that I'm dealing with forever, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I have so a question was, for you. Like, sure. for uh, for Skeleton Rose Media, it's kind of, uh, you started this, I, I guess, business, a company, like a, a publishing company. Um, you release your music through it, you release your writing through it, and you do the digital photography through it. Is it something that you want to kind of keep as your own thing or is it something that you would eventually would like to grow and maybe help publish other indie artists that's actually something that i've been talking about quite a bit like dream okay so we're, we're, we're dreaming now guys okay so you know, I'm, I'm just throwing rocks at the sky right now but like my dream you know would have this to be a larger and i'm in the process of trademarking skeleton rose media right now mm. and so like um my idea is like eventually you know you're talking about like you know merchandising and stuff like that like if you were to go through the books and you see a picture where you're like man that's that's a fucking awesome picture you know i just i wish i had it as a poster you know my dream is that it's like you can go to the fucking website and order it as a print you know yeah and, ah. and that kind of stuff or and then like keep working with these illustrators and artists and stuff you know, and maybe I'm selling stuff that's not even in one of my books or something like that. It's just cool artwork that that like as Becca does a lot of the art, did a lot of the artwork for Grave Walker and stuff. So maybe she works on something that's just sick. It's not a tied to the books or anything else. And we're just selling it. So like it, it's kind of this where I want to go with it is like a celebration of like horror art. Mm-hmm. And awesome. so and so like I would definitely be open moving forward, you know, to like other authors as well or musicians or whatever, just being like, you know, and I, 
you know, only have so much time to go around. And I by am no means, you know, it's not like I have all the fucking answers for editing or anything else. But it's like if you want to work with another dude that's passionate, you know, exactly. and, you know, and it's like and, and if and if you don't have access to digital photography or whatever else, and, you know, it's like you can send me what you work. I mean, I'm just saying now we're dreaming, like I said. Yeah. Yeah. Down the road, let's say some guy in California is like, yeah, no, I'd love to work with you, yada, yada, yada. As, as, as like, you put the Skeleton Rose media on it. I, don't, I guess I don't really give a shit as long as everything is on par, you know. Now this I mean, is I wouldn't tell anybody. Like, like, like kind of the theme of this, uh, this whole conversation is, like, going full circle. What I would love to see in, uh, is for that to happen and for you to be able to do that and maybe start this production thing where – you know, you're putting other people's work out there without having the editors telling them what they need to cut or like. Right. Exactly. So that would be my, my, my only, like, I guess qualification is like, I work pretty tirelessly on on a lot of this stuff to make it look professional and presentable. That would be my only, like, it's gotta be good. It's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be on par and on the level. But if, but if, but if somebody dude, some dude comes to me with a book and I'm like, no, I fucking love it. You know, I'm, I wouldn't tell him what to change or anything else like that. You know, I'd, I'd be like, you know, it's like, no, fucking great, man. I won't tell you how you have to do it. Yada, yada, yada. And if he's like, well, I'd, I, you know, I'd love to do the digital photography thing, but I don't have any access to it. I'd be like, well, I can, you know, I can throw around some scenes and stuff. I, you know, throw some stuff around with my guys and stuff and we could do pictures for it, you know, mm-hmm. here, you know. Well, that's then, kind of our thing too with, uh, with talking to all these indie artists and you know i i feel like a lot of people aren't given an opportunity because i personally don't like like looking at something or watching something and being like oh that was shit because to me somebody got the idea to make that movie and it was something that they had a passion for and that they, they followed out with so it. like if you watch this low budget movie that you know you personally are like all right i really don't like this at all you know, you might not like it, but somebody else like put everything that they had into making that. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. So it's um, exactly the only time I'll really say like, "Oh, that was shit." Is if it's something that's like big it budget is. Hollywood that you know right. that they just made to make money off of. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, well, I mean, we're talking about the same thing. That, we're talking about the same fucking thing that Rob did. Rob Zombie. Yeah. Like. He couldn't ever secure funding for anything he wanted to do because he was too extreme and a little bit too out there. So he started his own fucking production company. Mm-hmm. And he killed and he it just, like, with everything. Yeah, so he's really good buddies with um, uh, who's the other guy? Like, has Robert Rodriguez worked with him before? I can't. I can't. I don't, I don't remember now. But, but anyway, um, but yeah, but that's what Rob did. Like Rob's like, you guys want to give me any money? Fine. Like, <laughs> fuck it, I'll do it myself. You know. And so that's kind of where I come from with all of this is it was just like at that con- at that point you know with Walker it was like I had gotten the validation that they had at least been like it was good enough we want to see more so it was like I do know what I'm it, it was that in my in my head I was like okay so I do know what I'm doing you know and so it was like but they're just not jiving with this that or the other thing and so it's like okay so I do know what I'm doing why don't I just do it and just who gives a shit about publishers, you know? And, and so like, I just made a, a, a conscious decision at that point with Gravewalker that I was like, all right, from here until kingdom come, this is just what I, I do things this way, you know, which I like more cause I'm a bit stubborn anyway. 
you know. So when it comes to like, it, I mean, it's like I can't believe that. Like, well, we don't want the dead children. It's like the whole fucking book is based <laughs> yeah. on, like, like, like. I mean, if you're not down with that, you're not down with the idea. So why do you want to see more? Yeah. You know, why, why do you even want to see more out of me? You know, and and so it was like with if I'm doing it myself, I can do shit however the fuck I want to do, which is very fucking liberating. You yeah. know. And, and so that's exactly, you know, you hit on exactly where I'd like to go with it. And so um, I'm actually going to CryptidCon, which is a big horror convention in Minneapolis. Okay. And and so um, my, the, the guy that does all the, my horror tattoos and stuff, Roy, he goes every year and he invited me to it. And he's like, dude, you should go and like, you know, and have cards or something to hand out to people. And I was like, I don't want to be that fucking asshole in the crowd. That's kind of where we're at. We're going to a, a convention in February over by us and uh, our... Our sister-in-law, she's on the podcast, Erica, um, she's going with us too, and she's like, oh, we should get cards made and stuff, and I'm like, it's a good idea, but at the same time, like, I kind of just want to go and enjoy it, like, as a fan, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> now, so I talked, I was like, I was like, I want to be that asshole that's listening to the crowd, and Roy's like, dude, there's hundreds of people that are doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, that's part of the reason they're there, and I was like, okay, well, if I do do something, I don't want it to be intrusive to other people's things. So then, so you need what you need a gambit, you know, for people to come talk to me if they want to, but they can go on about their business. I'm not actively like disrupting their day, you know? And so I was like, just doing a shirt, I think would be perfect. And so that's what I'm working on now. So like do a four square of my books on the front of the shirt and then on the back, just be like, do you like horror novels? Ask me about my books. There you go. There you go. And, And then, and then if nobody says anything, nobody's out anything. But if some dude comes up to me, he's like, I'd like to know more. Then you'd be like, well, I got all these available here or whatever. And if you give me your email address, you can have fucking all four of them for free. I don't give a shit, you know? Yeah, it's a good way to promote, for sure. Exactly. And so, like, I was talking to a buddy of mine. Uh, he's like, he's like, you can't give them away for free, dude. He's like, why the fuck not? It's like, it's like, as an artist, you don't make any money until you're dead. Everybody knows that, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you make money when you're dead, and everybody's like, why wasn't you more appreciated when he was alive? I was like, Cause that's the way it works, you know? And so... Like, not only that, it's like, for me, I'm so passionate about it. And it's like, it, it bugs me if I have stuff. That was the other thing, too, with the publishers. It's like, at this point, Walker had been finished and written for like a year at that point. So, like, I was still fighting with publishers and editors and stuff. I was like, man, this this book, it might be like a solid three, four years for this thing sees print. You know, if it does see print at all with a publisher. And so, I was like, why am I dicking around with you guys? I'm wasting time. You get one fucking chance to live. You know, mm. and I got I got other ideas, other books to do, man. I got to get this shit out, you know. <laughs> and so, like, for me, it was like I can't I can't wait on I can't wait on that shit. Especially too, like young adult horror is what all the publishers want right now. Anyway, they want the teeny bopper vampires and the werewolves, and all that kind of shit. Anyway, so it was like, you know, there's a there's a a term I guess called like a horror author's author. Mm. So like Jack Jack Ketchum would be one of those ones, very intense stuff. And so, like, that's kind of the vein that I run in is it's, like, really intense stuff that, like, you got to be a fan of horror to kind of – you got to know what you're getting into, you know? And, and and so, like, that's the kind of horror that I – that where I sit. And I was like, there's a really good chance that nobody's going to end up backing me anyway because of the nature of that. So it was just a decision I made at that point that I'm just going to build my own fire, you know, and, and do things that way. So that was why, like, going to – the horror con. I mean, I think if you can find an unobtrusive way to promote, you know, that I think is cool. You know, if you have some gambit 
for them to come talk to you, but you're not actively stopping people, you know? So, I mean, um, you know, I don't think you guys should be against having something, you know, but um, trying to find a, because I hate going to stores and getting stopped. So I was like, how would I want to discover something, you know? And so I was like, a dude with a shirt? I can get behind, you know, I can get behind that, you know, yeah. so maybe that might be something you guys want to look into too. I know uh, I'm working, Teespring is a website I'm working We have with. shirts, but they, they literally just say Horror Haven on them. Like, it, there's no indication that it's even a podcast, so. <laughs> we oh. Could just be a group of people who really, well, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Group of people who just really like horror movies. Now, um, I. <laughs> right. And music. Right. For, uh, for anybody listening who has stuck in for this whole conversation, you guys are rule. Um, where can they right. <laughs> where can they find more of your work uh, your books your music uh, I, I want to let you throw some plugs out there so anybody interested can look into it more honestly oh, sure. there are people I, like our longer episodes I, I suppose this is that time we might actually probably should get into some stuff that I do yeah. um, <laughs> alright um, everything is available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions I have it set so if you buy the paperback, which the only reason the paperbacks are in black and white is to keep the cost at 10 bucks. And because like to do color versions of the high digital photos, it jumps the price of production to like 28 fucking dollars. Like I'm not going to ask people to pay 30 bucks for a fucking paperback. Right. You know, so like I put them in black and white. But if you buy the paperback in black and white for 10 bucks, you get the Kindle version for free, which has all the digital in color uh, happy-go-lucky pictures in there anyway. Um, and so, uh, and for anybody even listening or checking stuff out, if you shoot me an email and you don't like paying for stuff, I am more than happy to just shoot out free copies of anything, you know, cause it's, I didn't write it to just have it sit on my computer, you know? So, I mean, uh, an email address is about all that I need to send it, but it is all available for purchase and everything else. And the music is the same kind of deal. It's available in more places for free than it is for purchase. Um, all the music is available through iTunes and Amazon MP3, all that happy horse shit too. But it's also like in Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you can rip or stream free music, it's available there, I promise you. We're also going to uh, add a clip into this episode, right? Yeah. Yes, we're adding a clip of music into the episode. <laughs> Hell yeah. But um, so, uh, and, and so like, I've done four of them. And I guess, like like I said, now I'm now I'm panicking a little bit. I guess like so I'm like, oh shit, fuck. Like I should probably talk a little bit about some of the stuff that I've done. I guess I, I I'm not the one running the podcast. I guess you guys are the ones running it. So now I'm panicking a little bit. I probably should talk a little bit about. Oh, don't panic, dude. You're good. <laughs> some of the other stuff that I've done. Um. Uh. Okay. So. Uh. The, uh the, the most recent one, I released two books this year. Um, one was called Lavender Blue. The second is Grave Walker. Uh, Lavender Blue uh, starts, I, I wanted to, like I said, I like doing old take or uh, new takes on old ideas. So Lavender Blue, I straight out went out, I wanted to do a possession story. Mm-hmm. So just starting there, like I wanted to do a possession story, but how do I do it? So I live in the middle of uh, Minnesota in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. So I started doing a little bit of research. Like I said, nobody's more superstitious than Catholics and Native Americans. And I live in the middle of um, both. And so 
Um, so I had found out that 80 miles from where I live, there's this Indian reservation called uh, the Red Lake Indian Reservation. It's one of the only closed Indian reservations in the United States, and it is the only closed Indian reservation in Minnesota. And so, like, if you show up to their borders, they can just tell you no, like, and just turn you away. And so about 10 years ago, they had a school shooting there that I'd never fucking heard of. And I didn't grow up that far away from here, so I feel like it would have made the transition. And while I was in college, I studied school shooters, and I figured it would have come up in that conversation as well. But I didn't learn about this, so I started writing Lavender Blue. And so I was, like, on an Ojibwe, an Ojibwe Indian reservation. There was this school shooting, school massacre. And so I was like, that's fucking nuts. So I, I started researching this a little bit more, and I found out on – this Indian reservation, there's still a Catholic boarding school, which through Native American studies, which is required to take in college. I, I thought that all the all the uh, uh, Catholic boarding schools have been done away with. But this one is still in operation on on the closed Indian reservation of Red Lake, or of Red, Red Lake Minnesota. And so I was like, ooh, nobody's more superstitious than Catholics and Native Americans, and we're combining them both, you know? So I was like, this is like too fucking cool. So I started, uh, I, I started researching basically like, what would be their devil or a demonic spirit or whatever else. And I got on this, uh, on this trend of, uh, excuse me one second here. Mm -hmm. um, so I started reading up, it, it was uh, a psychological condition that was actually included in the DSM. The, the DSM is a diagnostic statistical manual. It's, it's basically the cookbook for psychologists for like all psychological disorders and shit. And so like um, uh, through my grad studies, I actually had to purchase one for forensic psychology. And so, um, in the DSM until like, I don't know, 70 or 80, whatever they finally taken out, there was this thing called Wendigo psychosis. And so it was a way that Indians had tried to explain away this rash of cannibalism deep in the middle of winter. So you'd have Ojibwe were, were, uh, they were fur traders with the French up here around the Great Lakes back in the 1800s. So there was this awful rash of people that would come up, they'd go beaver trapping, they'd get snowed in, these awful blizzards would be 30 below, you'd be stuck in a fucking hut with somebody for three months at a time, and they'd end up eating each other. And so it was the way that Native Americans tried to explain stuff away was what they call this Wendigo psychosis. So it was this winter demon that would possess you with the uh, hunger for human flesh kind of thing. So it's yeah. like, and so I was like, and I had been a long fucking time since I had heard anything about a Wendigo, you know? And so I was like, that's really fucking cool. And so I was like, we're going to do a possession story. I was like, we're going to do a possession story circling around that. And there's no exorcism. So I was like, I was like, we're going to start there. And I was, and I was watching exorcism one day and I was like, what would be, how do we, how do we ramp this up even more? Like, <laughs> how do we make the exorcist even more intense? And I was like, we do the one thing that they never wanted to do throughout, throughout the whole book. It wants no straps, you know, like they keep saying it wants no straps, you know? And so I was like, we take the straps off, you know, and we have no exorcism. And then the possessing spirit is a fucking cannibal, you know? So I was like, that's intense. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's pretty fucking nuts. And so I was like, that's where Lavender Blue centers around. And uh, that was uh, the book that uh, when I started doing the digital photography it was with Rhoda Bones. So that's where Lavender Blue settles around. And I actually had a full cast of characters I actually had a full cast of characters uh, for the digital photography, so which was very, very cool. Did a whole photo shoot. Was, I mean, as close to filming a movie as I could. Did a whole rap party. It was a lot of fucking fun. And so I started the digital photography with my second book, Road of Bones, which centers around a serial killer. Um, so it's like, so it's like, okay, so now we're changing genres to serial killers, right? And and so 
um, that book, There's Really No Mystery to Be Had, is, uh, is a guy named Xander Crowley. There's a guy named Xander Crowley, and he uh, meets these women, dates them, engages them, and then brutally murders them to offer them up to the ghost of his dead girlfriend in hopes that she'll return to him, right? And Romantic. And, right, exactly, right? And there's, <laughs> and there's, there's, a, there's, and there's a line in Road of Bones that Xander Crowley, that, I, that has always stuck with me since I wrote it. Like Xander says, there's nothing more beautiful than horror and there's nothing more horrific than romance. And so um, it centers right around in that vein and uh, the the spirit is present. So it's not like, it's not like she's not around. She shows up, promises to return if Xander murders these women. She's very temperamental. Sometimes she accepts the offering. Sometimes she doesn't, which leaves Xander as just a goddamn serial killer rather than, you know, it's like the pain of that separation. It's like he's killing these women that he's actually loves as well, you know, in hopes that Jocelyn will return. When she doesn't return, Xander's just a goddamn serial killer, you know, <laughs> which is which is a pretty grueling way to tell a story. And so there's no mystery. The book starts out with Xander getting arrested, and so it's basically his confession in vivid detail. So he's of like everything that story. Exactly, and and so uh, the the idea for the digital photography had started with Road of Bones because I was like, I feel like this could work, you know, by adding like little graphic illustrations throughout, and I was, was going to do this small scale. And so I was like, small scale first, and then if it works, we'll move up. So Road of Bones, I was like, I'll play Xander Crowley, you know? And so, um, like, I'm on the front cover all gored up and stuff, and there's a lot of digital photography I'd done for that one. Um, and one of my, like, I love the fucking picture where I'm, I don't know if you guys have seen it, where I'm dragging the fucking sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of my favorite pictures this day. And so it's like the whole book, Xander's talking about the horror of the 11 minutes and how, like, in that 11 minutes she showed me things you cannot possibly imagine, you know? And so, like, the whole book is building up to this 11 minutes, and so it's, like, part three of the 11 minutes, and I'm dragging a fucking blood-covered sledgehammer, like, <laughs> like, like through the archway. I was just like, ah! Like, like now we're talking horror, you know? <laughs> like, it's so, like, so, like, I like, I like doing, um, like I said, that big, bold, brash you know, stick your chest out, like, horror story. Mm-hmm. So digital photography, it started with Road of Bones. I went full scale with it for Lavender Blue. And then because Westerns are difficult to do for photography, I, I did uh, illustrations and drawings for Gravewalker. So that's actually people I know that had done all the drawings and stuff. That's really cool, though. That's if a I... cool way to incorporate um, artwork. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was going really with Santa. It's like, everybody's got a thing. You know, if you just talk to people, it's like, well, I don't have money to pay an artist. Like, if you talk to your friends, I bet you any of them, someone will be able, will have a pension for drawing or, or some passion exactly. that they'll be really fucking good, you know? And so, um, and I was like, and I know how to colorscape and digitally edit and do and do a lot of different kind of stuff. So a lot of the illustrations ended up to Gravewalker. And Gravewalker is the, um, is the, the horror Western set in the 1888 zombie apocalypse of undead murdered children that rise from the grave after they've been impaled to fucking trees by this rogue angel of death. And so um, the story for Gravewalker, um, just as a little sales pitch or whatever, a little pluggy plug, is uh, um, follows Jack Carson, who's a former outlaw who had reformed and tried, who had reformed and tried to and try to get right with God, right? Well, when he sees this undead apocalypse happen, he assumes it's the rapture. Okay. And so since he is still there, 
he's assuming he didn't make the cut. So because of, so he tried to be good, he tried to reform and everything else, and he didn't make the cut. So he's a brooding uh, outlaw or whatever. And then for added flavor, I made him an empath. So he actually feels the emotions of others. And so like every horrific thing that's ever happened to anybody, if he gets close, he, he not feels only feels it. it, but can see it right in his head and stuff. And so he's visited by a Russian immigrant one day named Andre, who sees his children get dragged away by these dolls in, in, in Minneapolis. So Andre says, my children have been taken by the dolls. And Jack says, if they've been taken by the dolls, your kids are already dead, I promise you. And he and Andre says, there was no blood. There was only trails in the dirt. And Jack's like, these things don't take people. They eat them, you know. And he's like, I'm telling I'm telling you there was no blood. My, you know, my kids are alive. And, and Jack has this. And so Jack has this pension for finding he's a hitman or has been a hitman in the past. Like he finds people and kills people. He's known as Carson that find, Carson that kill. And so Andre seeks out Jack's help to find his missing children. And to find his missing children, they have to head into the woods north of Minneapolis, which is home to a superstitious lesson of the mass graves of all the children that disappeared behind this place called Dollhouse. So they venture into the trees north of Minneapolis, and the story goes from there. Now, I'm doing a re-release of the very first book, The Big Red Devil, um, now that publishing options have really taken off as far as Amazon and stuff. Mm. I'm doing a, a re-release, which I'm going to call the All Hallows Eve edition. <laughs> and if you want a brutal fucking horror story, like all my stuff is pretty violent and pretty intense, but the Big Red Devil is fucking nuts. It centers around um, a guy named John Harker. He wakes up, he falls into coma for five years in a psych ward, and then one day he just gets up and leaves. Like, no explanation, just gets up and leaves, and he settles in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and starts serial murdering pastors. Hmm. Sounds like a good a good day. <laughs> Serial murdering pastors, and the story goes from there. So, um, and so, um, those are the books that I have out. Um, if for anybody that wants to check out the Big Red Devil, I will not turn them away. But I am doing a whole big re-release. So just being a neurotic, you know, finicky person. If you're gonna read the Big Red Devil, wait for the re-release. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely but, want to check um, it out. Yeah, but, um, you know, I would never turn anybody away from it, but uh, uh, there will be a re-release for that one. That one's going to get pictures, and I cannot fucking wait because some of the spots in that book are fucking insane. And so, like, having some of that come out through digital photography and artwork and everything else, having a big, huge re-release, because Halloween is a pretty special date for me. It's a pretty, it's a running theme in a lot of what I do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, the, well, the final chapter is called The Halloween Sermon, in the Big Red Devil, and so Halloween is a pretty special date to John Harker, and there's some nut stuff that happens in a church that everybody gets locked into um, without giving away the whole ending. But like, <laughs> so with, with the final chapter being called the Halloween Sermon, we're doing a whole big release called the All Hallows Eve Edition, which is going to be fucking sick. And then as far as music goes, um, my first album was released under the name Legion, but there was some trademarking problems with that. So I've changed everything to Skeleton Rose. That's going to get a re-release, but that is available anywhere you get your digital music. Um, the second album called Kingdom is available anywhere else you get your digital music for purchase or for free. Um, I did a live album earlier this year, just called Dance With Me at the End of All Things. 
which is available in all of the same places you would get your digital music for free or for purchase. For anybody that thinks that that sounds like too much work, I get it. I understand. Um, for we're gonna link. That... We're gonna link like everything that you're plugging. We'll link it in the description for the episode too. So anybody listening, if you're like, "Fuck, I got to check that out," but I, all of just, this, just look of... in our description. <laughs> yeah, all of this is outlined. All of this is outlined on my Instagram. That's where I do most of my reach out. I mean, I'm on Facebook for both the music and the art stuff, but I do my most of my reach out stuff on social media through Instagram. That's where I'm most comfortable. Um, and the Instagram is simply Skeleton Rose Media, all one word. Um, for anybody that thinks that any of this sounds like too much work and clicking links is difficult, I get it, I understand. Contact me. Um, contact me through Instagram with an email address. I would be happy to hook you guys up with anything that you want for free because I kind of know the guy that makes everything. So um, <laughs> you're such I, a nice guy. Yeah, he, he he he's pretty cool. So I'm, I mean, he'd be pretty cool with me just handing stuff out. So um, <laughs> for anybody that he, for anybody that uh, wants to check out any of this, um, go ahead and contact me. All I need is an email address and what you would be interested in checking out. So. With all that said, anything else you guys want to talk about, I am an open book. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap it up uh, for this, but we, we do want to play one of the songs that you've let out. Do you have any preference for which one you want us to play? Um, um I guess, you know what? It, it's it's not even really about me. I mean, I, I mean, you guys were kind enough to have me on, so the question would be, would you rather a studio recording or a live recording? Either one. Well, that doesn't ask the question. Uh, <laughs> we're have, very, we're a, extremely not picky. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite? And we'll, we'll play anything, man. Um, I think I sent them Twisted Wings and Dollmaker. Dollmaker's a live one. Which one do you think, Becky? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the same boat. <laughs> Pick a number, one or two. Two. Two is Twisted Wings. Twisted Wings is what Becky says. Okay. Twisted Wings. So, that was a good solution. Thank you. Check it out if you like it. If you want to hear more, follow the link in our description. John, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, look out for John in our Exorcist episode whenever we uh, plan that. <laughs> also, keep your eye out for a review on at least one of his books. I'm going to be checking them out as well. Yeah.